Good evening and welcome to the Champaign Township meeting for December 7th, 2021. Call this meeting to order and I ask the clerk to please call the roll. Board member Pianfetti? Here. Williams? Here. Beck? Here. Bruno? Here. Fulmer? Here. Gladney? Present. Iningas? Here. Kyles? Here. Chairperson Finan? I am also here. We need a motion to approve the minutes. Chairperson Finan, I move that we approve the minutes of the regular board meeting held November 2nd, 2021. Second. Is there any discussion? All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed, same sign. Motion carries. Do we have any correspondence? We have none, Your Honor. All right. The summary of expenditures. Chairperson Finan, I move that we uh, put on file the summary of expenditures for October 2021. Second. Any discussion? All, I have those in your Honor. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed, same sign. Motion carries. Okay, we now have a public hearing relating to the township levy. I declare the public hearing open. The purpose of the public hearing is to provide an opportunity for all persons interested in or affected by the township's 2021 property tax levy to express their views. Notice of the public hearing was published on November 28, 2021 in the News Gazette. If anyone desires to express his or her views regarding the levy, please step forward to the podium to be recognized and state your name and address for the record. I declare this public hearing closed. And we can move on then to our ordinances. Chairperson Finan, I move the ordinance of 2021-1201 tax levy. Second. Do you wanna to speak to this supervisor? Your Honor, um, this of course is uh, the ordinance associated with our uh, estimated 2021 uh, levy. Um, we're recognizing a uh, slightly over 4% increase. Uh, we had the hearing uh, for truth and taxation purposes just to ensure that should there be additional revenue available, we're able to capture that, but um, we're well within our 5% increase. Thank you, is there anyone else? Seeing none, will the clerk please call the roll? Board member Pianfetti? Yes. Williams? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Palmer? Yes. Gladney? Yes. Iningas? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Chairperson Finan? Yes. The ordinance passes 9 to 0. We have the audit. Chairperson Finan, I move that we put on file the FY 2021 audit. Second. Supervisor, do you want to speak to that? No, there was nothing remarkable, which in the world of audits is a positive thing. <laughs> uh, I would like to, though, thank um, Finance for their assistance with this. As always, they're extremely helpful. Uh, take the lead and provide me direction. So um, it was a good, strong audit, uh, and thank you for placing on file. Is there any member of the public who wishes to address this issue? Seeing none, any town board comment? All right, please call the roll. Board member Pianfetti? Yes. Williams? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Falmer? Yes. Gladney? Yes. Iningas? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Chairperson Finan? Yes, the audit is placed on file by a vote of nine to zero. We're now at the point of our meeting for audience participation on township issues. 
If anyone wishes to address the township board, please step forward. Seeing none, are there any town board member comments? Supervisor. Your Honor, the only note I have is um, since this agenda was made and posted to the media, uh, the January 4th council meeting has been canceled. So we're going to be moving our uh, January township meeting to January 11th. Um, that's the only, the only uh, addition I have. All right, that sounds great. Chairperson Finan, I move we adjourn. Second. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye. Pose, same sign. Motion carries. We are adjourned. I'd now like to call to order the Champaign City Council meeting for December 7th, 2021. I invite you to join me for a moment of silence followed by the pledge. Will the clerk please call the roll? Councilmember Piampetti? Here. Williams? Here. Beck? Here. Bruno? Here. Balmer? Here. Gladney? Present. Aningas? Here. Kyles? Yes. Mayor Finan? I am also here. We have some firos that are going to be done tonight. Good evening, Mayor and members of the council. It's uh, my honor to introduce to you one of our newer firefighters tonight and one of our firefighters who's being promoted. So I'm going to tell you about our first firefighter and that's the gentleman standing here. His name is Hayden Painter. And Hayden has a total of four years fire and EMS experience with the last 13 months being a part of the Champaign Fire Department. He is a licensed EMTB, and he was a member of our Champaign Fire Explorer post at one time prior to being employed. He is attending Parkland College and working on his fire science degree, and his father is a Champaign Fire Lieutenant, Bill Painter. I, Hayden Painter, have been appointed to the position of firefighter in the city of Champaign in the county of Champaign, do hereby swear that I will perform the duties of firefighter to the best of my abilities, and that I will uphold the Constitution of the State of Illinois and the Constitution of the United States of America to the best of my ability. And promoted to the rank of battalion fire chief is John Hocking. John has a total of 35 years experience in the fire service with 28 of those being with the Champaign Fire Department. He is certified as a fire protection specialist with the United States Air Force. He also has an associate's degree in fire science and management from Parkland College, and also attended the University of Illinois and the National Fire Academy. He has numerous certifications, is a member of the Champaign Fire Department Honor Guard, competed nationally in the Firefighter Combat Challenge, and was deployed to New Orleans with other firefighters from Champaign 
in Illinois during the Hurricane Katrina event. He is married to his wife, Shelly, and has two daughters, Lauren and Elise, and three stepchildren, Blaine, Jake, and Ella. And he is expecting his first grandchild in 2022. I, John Hocking, have been appointed to the position of Battalion Chief in the City of Champaign and the County of Champaign. Do hereby swear that I will perform the duties of Battalion Chief to the best of my abilities and that I will uphold the Constitution of the State of Illinois and the Constitution of the United States of America to the best of my abilities. Please join me in a round of applause for both of our... John. Thank you, Mayor and Council. There are no minutes to approve, oh. Your Honor. Do we have any correspondence? We do not. All right. So we please call the first bill. Council Bill 2021-162, a resolution adopting the City Council vision and goals for the 2021-2023 Council term. So moved. Second. Okay, and do you need to amend? Your Honor, I move to amend Council Bill 2021-162 to eliminate key project number five on page five because it is repeated later on. Second. All right, so we have a motion that is pending. All those in favor of the motion to amend signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed, same sign. Okay, please call the bill as amended. Council Bill 2021-162, a resolution adopting the City Council vision and goals for the 2021-2023 Council term. Okay, and this bill adopts the City Council vision and goals for 2021-2023, and the City Council vision and goals are to be used to set city priorities, direct work activities, and allocate city staff time and financial resources. Are there any technical questions? Anyone in the audience wish to address these issues? Any council comment? Please call the roll. Council Member Pianfetti? Yes. Williams? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Palmer? Yes. Gladney? Yes. Iningas? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes. Council passes nine to zero. Council Member Pianfetti? Your Honor, I move we consolidate bills number 2021-163 and bill number 2021-164. Second. These council bills, or we need to, I'm sorry, we need to vote on the consolidation. All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed, same sign. 
Motion carries. Please call the consolidated bills. Council Bill 2021-163, an ordinance levying the annual taxes for general purposes in the city of Champaign, Illinois for the fiscal year beginning July 1st, 2021 and ending June 30th, 2022. Council Bill 2021-164, an ordinance directing the Champaign County Clerk to abate the tax levies for library operating and improvement funds, the General Corporate Purpose Fund, the Illinois Municipal Retirement Fund Levy, and Federal Social Security Levy for the tax year 2021. These council bills concern the 2021 property tax levy. The first council bill would adopt the tax levy of $27,798,100 with an estimated tax rate of 1.3152 per $100 of equalized assessed valuation, EAV. The second council bill would approve the abatement of part of the tax levy if the extension would result in a tax rate above the 1.3152. Are there any technical questions? Is there anyone in the audience who wishes to address this issue? Council comment, please call the roll. Councilmember Pianfetti? Yes. Williams? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Fulmer? Yes. Gladney? Yes. Iningas? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes, council bill passes nine to zero. Councilmember Pianfetti? Your Honor, I move that we consolidate council bill number 2021-165 and council bill number 2021-166. Second. All those in favor of consolidation signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed, same sign. We are consolidated. Please call both bills. Council Bill 2021-165, a resolution approving a subrecipient agreement with See You at Home for low barrier emergency shelters. Council Bill 2021-166, an ordinance amending the annual budget for the general fund. The purpose of the first council bill is to approve a subrecipient agreement with See You at Home for low barrier emergency homeless shelter services in an amount not to exceed $324,360. The purpose of the second council bill is to amend the fiscal year 21-22 annual budget for the general fund to increase expenditures by the $324,000 $360 and to reduce the general fund American Rescue Plan Act reserve by $324,360. Are there any technical questions? I have a couple um, and I, I guess the first one is just um, a discussion about what screening criteria if any Will, will be used for this shelter. I know it's a low barrier entry, but if you can explain how that will work. It, and I know we have some people from CU at home here too. Thank you. The new executive director, Melissa Courtright is here, as well as Rob Dollhouse from CU at home. So I, if you don't mind, I'd defer to them to answer that. Okay. You can just stand at that microphone. Uh, the can you hear me? Yep. Hello? Hi there. Can you repeat the question, Mayor Finan, please? I just, I know that this is a low barrier entry, but because of your screening at your other facility, I want to be sure and understand what the screening process, if any, will be for this current facility. 
great, great question. So the uh, very, by definition, low barrier, very limited screening, um, limited intake process. So um, whether that person is uh, sober or, excuse me, under the influence of, of drugs or alcohol, um, they would be allowed in. There's no, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, ability, there is an ability to come in throughout the night as well. So uh, very limited intake, uh, really screening all of those folks in. Basically, if they're not going to our shelters at 70 East Washington or not going to uh, the hospitals or the jails for some reason, they would have access to this facility. And what type of training and criteria for staff at this facility? <laughs> okay. I can take that. Yep. So uh, in the hiring process, as we're working with the steering committee, uh, we've looked to hire uh, those with some sort of either mental health or substance abuse training um, and or trauma-informed care uh, and or um, uh, crisis intervention, uh, those types of uh, training or experience with um, any of those or in uh, experience with those in a homeless situation. Uh, so really looking for kind of that higher level staff with uh, prior experience uh, working closely with this population. Um, I want to go back for a minute to the uh, entry criteria um, and make sure I understand at your currently existing facility. Um, I have been told today that it's not just that if someone is um, drunk or high or on a substance at the time, but that you actually do a drug screen. So if they had used, you know, a week before and they come up positive, they are excluded from the current shelter. Is that the case? Yes, that is the case, depending on what type of substance they use uh, or have been using. Um, we also work with that individual to figure out if the shelter is the best place for them. So in, in some situations, a detox facility or treatment center might be the best option uh, for them at that time. Yeah, and I, I, I would just add that for uh, this particular emergency shelter, we have drafted uh, policies and procedures that will be presented to the steering committee for their final approval and um, obviously fully open to any amendments or criteria that they feel like needed to be added at that time. And those will be submitted uh, tomorrow uh, for our meeting on Thursday uh, for any revisions that we need to make to that policy and procedure. Okay. And then my final question just has to do with the religious aspect of your organization. We're putting city money into... Um, the low barrier shelter. So I guess I want to be um, sure that there is no religious requirement or um, religious component of this new shelter. Yeah, absolutely. That's part of the uh, policies and procedures that I've drafted. And as I said, will be uh, put forth uh, for the review of the steering committee. Um, we do obviously acknowledge that we're a faith-based faith organization, but there is no um, you know, compulsion for any client to participate um, in any religious activities while we're there, and that's absolutely part of the um, policy and procedure that we've put into place. But are there religious activities that take place in the low barrier shelter? No, there's no religious activities that will take place in okay. the low barrier shelter. Okay, thank you. Councilmember Beck. Can you tell me where this, where you'll be sheltering people? Do you want to yeah. Speak to 
Yep, so we are working right now on finalizing an agreement uh, with New Covenant Fellowship Church for uh, housing of the men. Uh, and we actually are um, going through the process of finalizing a location for the women as well. We've got three different locations um, that we've done walkthroughs um, to just make sure that everything is up to code. Uh, and obviously with city funds going into that, we want to make sure everything is, uh, all the I's are dotted and, and T's are crossed. So uh, working on finalizing um, both of those locations in the near future. So this is a question for the city manager then. As far as the city, as the location goes, um, if we're approving this funding tonight for the new Covenant Fellowship location for men, will we be funding this contingent upon knowing what the location will be for women as well so that we will be funding a place that we believe is appropriate? Yes. I mean, obviously, we're not going to continue with this contract if we don't have both sites identified, and we want to make sure that both sites meet our code. So our staff is working very closely with them to make sure that, that you know, we know both locations and that both locations are adequate for the service. Okay, thank you. Um, and this is just for evening shelter, correct? It's no daytime shelter involved at all? That is correct, yes. We would still have our daytime drop-in center services available, but this and that, would be... And that's open to anyone regardless of whether they're using or not currently? That is correct. Um, and then my final question for you is um, in regards to the, uh, uh, the recent um, acquisition of a program in New York where they have a... Um, it's a, it's an active program that uh, makes sure for the safety of people who are IV drug users, particularly people who are um, using opioid drugs, which is, continues to be a problem here and nationally. Um, and I'm wondering what safety mechanisms you have in place um, for people who may be uh, using and may overdose. What what mechanisms are you putting in place for people? that will be staying with you? We do, um, again, have in the policies and procedures that will be for the steering committee safety procedures that directly direct, address how to respond um, in those situations, essentially. So staff will uh, go through training um, in terms of, you know, what to, what to do step by step, and that's part of the procedures. So um, knowing when to call the security team in um, knowing when to call, obviously, 911. Um, that's all in the policies and procedures that we'll be presenting. And will they have Narcan on site? And will they be also um, trained on how to give Narcan? That is something that we have discussed. And as I said, all of that will be before the steering committee. And I'm, we're absolutely open to what uh, you know that should look like for staff that are coming in and we do have a proposal that would involve Narcan and specific training for that. Okay. All right. Thank you Any other technical questions councilmember Fulmer? I just want to confirm very quickly with the city manager that this is really intended to kind of get us through the winter um, uh, uh, sort of uh, to follow continuum of care and and that we will have other kind of uh, things to come related to homelessness. Yes, this is really, this is, it is December, it's cold, we've got to do something for this winter. But as one of our priorities for ARPA funding and in the council goals, we are continuing to look at the broader needs of our residents without addresses. Anyone else? 
Thank you. Anyone in the audience wish to address this issue? Please step forward, state your name and city of residence. Please limit your comments to five minutes or less. Okay. My name is Martin Muller, Champaign Residence. Um, I got a question for them. Because um, I go into the shelter almost every day, and the shelter is like, I say more than 50% African Americans, but they don't show up in the staff. Um, I'm wondering, is the temporary shelters going to be cultures? I don't know what real word to put, where will we reflect the people that's coming to the shelter? Because I see some certain things that goes on there, and I think it was someone that looked like the people that they're dealing with, it'll be a, maybe a different outcome on some things. Um, in the hiring practice, I just want to know how, how that's going to go. And another question, I brought this up to the city that winter was coming back in probably June, you know, and this is something we, the firemen don't come to the fire when they see the ashes. Sometimes they come before the smoke or put fire alarms or something there so they could take care of the fire. And this is what we did with the shelter. We wait till we see the ashes and then try to do something. I wish our city do a better job. That's all I ask, and that's both cities. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to address this issue? Please state your name and city of residence. Please limit your comments to five minutes or less. Hello, everyone. My name is Justin Michael Hendricks, community engineer, Parkland College student, soon to be at the University of Illinois, educational policy major. Um, I appreciate the efforts of wanting to make sure that we are housing our most vulnerable, especially during this time in the winter climate, and the season is becoming very more gruesome for them. Uh, this past week, uh, last week was Giving Tuesday, and we went around to our most vulnerable populations, especially uh, where they congregate underneath the Vidoc area. And I hope that we are really serving those people as well, but then also let's be mindful of the women and children that we have that are homeless. And also let's make sure we take into account about the trans people in the community when it comes to housing and homelessness because we also make sure that we're mentioning trans women and trans men, also intersex people and also queer and non-gender conforming people. Thank you. Thank you, is there anyone else? Council comment? Please call the roll. Oh, sorry, Councilmember Pianfetti. Thank you, Your Honor. I just wanted to take a moment to say that I was happy to see this um, coming together. I know it's a short-term um, solution right now for the winter months, but I was happy that um, we were making some progress. Um, but in particular, I wanted just to thank uh, Neighborhood Services for um, what they did when they stepped in, um, when See You at Home took a little hiatus. I think that there was a lot of behind-the-scenes work, and sometimes... Um, it is those things that go unnoticed that um, make the most impact in our community. So I just wanted to thank thank you for what you did. Thank you, Carrie, for um, stepping in to get the resources that was needed to place um, individuals and with the compassion and care that you did. So thank you. Councilmember Kyles. I also want to second uh, Councilmember Pianfetti's um, comments along with that. Uh, Thank you for seeing at home for, there's not a lot of providers in this space, to be honest with you. Um, and so there's definitely a need in our community as we continue to look at for solutions and at solutions. Definitely, um, it's, while they don't do necessarily an emergency 
homeless shelter, definitely Restoration Urban Ministries uh, would like to be a part of the conversation uh, as they, uh, like I said, it's a different, uh, it's not emergency, but definitely it's something, a, a group that's done a lot of work in our community for a long time. Anyone else? Please call the roll. Councilmember Pianfetti? Yes. Williams? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Falmer? Yes. Gladney? Yes. Ningas? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes. Council Bill passes 9 to 0. Please call the next bill. Council Bill 2021-167, an ordinance annexing territory pursuant to petition. So moved. Second. The purpose of this council bill is to annex 0.685 acre parcel of land located at 1214 West Windsor Road. The property is adjacent to the southwest corner of Morrissey Park along the north side of Windsor Road between Galen and Mattis. Are there any technical questions? Anyone in the audience wish to address this issue? Council comments? Please call the roll. Councilmember Pianfetti? Yes. Williams? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Falmer? Yes. Gladney? Yes. Aningas? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes. Council Bill passes 9 to 0. Please call the next bill. Council Bill 2021-168, an ordinance amending the zoning map of the City of Champaign to rezone the property at 1712 South Duncan Road, 2909 Waterson Court, and a vacant parcel on Waterson Court from the MF3 high-density multifamily residential and restricted business zoning district to the CO commercial office zoning district. So moved. Second. The purpose of this council bill is to review a zoning map amendment typically called a rezoning for three parties properties located at 1712 South Duncan Road, 2909 Waterson Court, and a vacant parcel located between the other two along Watterson Court. This council bill would rezone these properties to the CO, Commercial Office Zoning District. The proposed zoning map is initiated by the Planning and Development Director under the authority of Section 37-753 as an implementation measure of the Champaign Tomorrow 2020 Comprehensive Plan. Are there any technical questions? I actually did have one, Bruce, and I, I didn't see it in our materials. Um, was there thought given to just any of the noise concerns? And I say that only because I know in the past, the county market back end has had some noise issues with the neighborhood that's directly behind it. And this is kind of all in that same area with some um, residential around it. Yeah, I think we find that office uses are generally a pretty good transitional use between more intense commercial and residential areas. Uh, this property isn't properly zoned at MF3. That's a very, very high density uh, multifamily district. These are relatively small lots uh, and you know, low intensity office uses, which is what, what this will provide for, should be a good transitional use. Great, thank you. Is there anyone in the audience who wishes to address this issue? Any council comment? Please call the roll. Councilmember Pianfetti? Yes. Williams? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Falmer? Yes. Gladney? Yes. Eningas? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Mayor Finan? 
Yes, Council Bill passes nine to zero. Please call the next bill. Council Bill 2021-169, an ordinance approving a special use permit to allow a contractor shop in the MF1 low density multifamily residential zoning district. So moved. Second. The purpose of this council bill is to consider a special use permit to allow a contractor shop in the MF1 low density multifamily zoning district at 2501 West Bradley Avenue. The plan commission recommended that the special use permit be denied. Six votes would be required to approve the special use because the plan commission has recommended denial of the permit. Are there any technical questions? Anyone in the audience wish to address this issue, please step forward, state your name and city of residence, and please my name's limit Pat, your comments to five minutes. My name's Pat Landgraver, and I'm from St. Joe, and I'm one of the people that's we're working on getting a special use permit. And the first thing that I'd like to say is I, I heard what you said as far as the zoning and planning, what their initial finding was. And I'd like to say that, you know, the zoning and planning department, they, we uh, showed up to the zoning and planning meeting intending to be prepared for it. And they gave us the documents one hour before the zoning and planning meeting so that we knew what their outcome was one hour. We had no time to prepare, no time to have anything. And uh, so, and there's a bill, there's a stuff that was just rezoned on Springfield Avenue, and that's what we was originally talking about. And the stuff that was just recently rezoned or given a special use permit is adjacent to Stonegate Apartments. There's apartments on this side of it. There's apartments on this side of the street, and there's a, there's residential house behind them. And they're also, you know, kind of in the same situation, except for this one that was just rezoned for recently. There's a bunch of overhead doors and a street that comes right here and the apartments are right here and there's there's a lot more buffer area between us and them. So I'm just really, it really puzzles me whenever I start to think about it because when you look at the lot that we're asking to get a special use permit, it is the lot then next door to it used to be commercial. But what had happened was, is they said three years ago, it's owned by a church, and the church wanted someone to stay in the, in the home there, and there's a residence there. So they asked if someone could stay there, and they said no, not unless it was rezoned. So they rezoned it to residential, and that's one of the things they're trying to say now is because this is residential. But on the other side of that lot is the radio station, which is commercial. On the other side of that is another lot that's commercial and has a giant radio tower, and right across the street from us is Parkland College. And the stuff that we're talking about building there you know, they use this word high intensity, but it's not high intensity. These are small shops that are like 1,400 square foot. And it's actually the stuff that we're looking to put there is actually for startup businesses. And it could be any, anywhere from someone just putting a small uh, shop in there to have warehouse space to send packages out to Amazon or something like that. And so what, basically what I'm trying to say is I think that as far as the zoning and planning, I think we got... I don't think we got a fair shake with them. Number one, because we didn't get the information in time to even be prepared for it. And number two, because I, I don't see how this could be high intensity because what they're doing over there that was just approved for is a scale of a 20,000 square foot building versus we're talking about a 4,000 square foot building. So, and they're both kind of, you know, next to apartments and uh, there's actually more residential people around the one that was just approved than is around us. So thank you. 
Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to address this issue? Please step forward, state your name and city of residence. Please limit your comments to five minutes or less. Hi, my name is Jeremy Brando. I live in Champaign. Um, I, I'm also one of the uh, owners of the lot and uh, proposed the development. Uh, one of our main objections to the city's findings are with the statement that the development would be detrimental to the residential neighborhood because of its high intensity use. Um, as Pat just said, our, our development is four storage units, and it's really intended for small contractors, startup businesses, um, entrepreneurial, small business entrepreneurs. Uh, it's not designed for large commercial property, um, contractors, heavy me mechanical use, industrial use, or other high-trafficked uh, businesses. So uh, personally, I intend to use one of the units for my property management business, which would result in, in maybe a few trips uh, a week. And um, it, it's currently zoned MF1, so right now it's set up for us to put a multifamily building on, which, and I don't think I'm the minority right now, I don't think the demand in this town right now is for more apartment buildings. But I do know that there's a strong demand for smaller businesses, entrepreneurs that need spaces like this. Uh, where they have the option to put office and maybe a bathroom in, um, but primarily for storage for their business. Um, the uh, city council recently approved that special permit for the West Springfield development, like was just mentioned, um, significantly larger than ours. And it, I find it hard to believe if that's not considered high-intensity use and a detriment to the neighborhood, how ours, which borders uh, two multifamily uh, buildings which the uh, uh, owner of the multifamily um, apartments has given their blessing and, and actually liked our design and plans that we've laid out. Um, you know, while while that other lot that was uh, given the special use permit was zoned MF3, um, ours is zoned MF1, but it also has a wide variety of mixed-use lots, just as ours, and borders the parcels with these same types of uses. Um, in addition to the proposed light use, we also do not agree with the type of development being detrimental to the neighborhood. Currently, our neighborhood consists of the Twin Oaks apartments on two sides. Uh, we've got the radio station to the west with a massive um, antenna, commercial office on the other side. To the east of us, we have MF1 and MF3 zone properties, and then commercial with a Dollar General. Uh, so really in our immediate neighborhood, there's only one single family house, which is, uh, was just rezoned. And we feel that it's kind of hard to, to really define this as a strictly residential neighborhood. I think it's a mixed-use neighborhood. I think our development would fit in there well and, and also provide for the demand that these types of businesses are looking for. Um, We've also requested uh, variance on the parking. MF1 zoning requires 12 parking spaces, one per 400 square feet. The city zoning ordinance for the small contractor office development as proposed requires one parking space per 1,000 square feet. Uh, we currently have eight proposed, two more than the zoning ordinance for this type of development. Uh, the only reason MF1 requires one per 400 square foot is because it's intended for multifamily buildings. And uh, it does not seem reasonable to me to require the additional parking for our proposed development when the city has already agreed that this type of development only needs one per thousand square foot. 
Um, we have made a lot of uh, revisions as well uh, when we got the initial feedback from staff. Uh, we have uh, we added 15 feet of setback to the west side, and uh, which allowed for more additional green space. Uh, we revised the building size and brought it down smaller to uh, also allow for uh, an opaque decorative fence on the west side. We've added shrubs uh, as required. We added required landscaping to the street frontage. Um, the parking and loading spaces and dimensions were provided as, as requested, and we've moved the handicapped space up closer as well. So uh, we feel like we're trying to work with the city. We think it's going to generate some good income for the city. Uh, we do, do completely disagree that this would be a high-intensity use. We think it would actually be very low use, much less than if it were a multifamily building, which would have much higher traffic content and uh, would have a lot more activity. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Please step forward, state your name and city of residence. Please limit your comments to five minutes or less. David, <clears throat> David Hennebury. Um, you need to keep your mask on, sir. Okay, sorry. Afraid of the muscle too much. Um, David Hennebury, I'm from Peoria, Illinois, but I'm the architect for the project. Uh, when I, uh, Jeremy approached me and I went through the zoning code and reviewed what is in your muni code, the definition of warehouse office was exactly the interpretation I came up with for this development. So most of our uh, design and everything was built around that particular use, and what we're doing is very consistent with that. Uh, Nothing that Jeremy's ever described to me would ever suggest that this is a high-intensity uh, contractor's yard, or it's not a concrete mixing plant. We're not going to have stacks of reinforcement and lumber and other excess materials, which is typical of that type of construction yard. So what I would ask is that you look at it through the lens that this is a warehouse office, not a high-intensity contractor's yard. Uh, that changes a lot of the different interpretations as we go through because a thousand square feet per parking space is accurate i would you know typically today in urban planning what we try to do uh, because we're trying not to affect the heat island effect is to keep that square footage down and the parking requirements as low as possible a lot of these requirements that we see in these codes today came out of what drove the suburban development and they haven't been revised for what we see today in the 21st century. So being this far out in the transect, you know, I can't get too deep into what kind of density we should or shouldn't expect uh, because that's not completely well-defined. To Jeremy's point on the uh, residential construction, our younger generation really wants more urban housing because they want to be closer to what's happening. So the probabilities of suburban uh, apartment construction are far less than they are today. And Champaign's actually done, of the communities in Central Illinois, a beautiful job of building their downtown and, and bringing urban housing downtown. So I, I would expect that pattern to continue. Uh, from a planning standpoint, uh, you know, there's no specific vision that's been laid out for that area. And what uh, Jeremy is proposing actually is very... Uh, standard for what you've seen currently developed. So it fits and is no more intrusive than what's already been constructed in that entire area out there. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? 
City Attorney, can you remind me the rules around evidence and um, planning commission? Uh, yeah, the, uh, first of all, the, the Planning Commission recommended against the grant of the special use permit, so it takes six votes to approve the special use permit. Uh, you can consider all the evidence that was before the uh, Planning Commission as evidence. You can, you can always consider comments of the public, uh, but you know, the principal evidence uh, that the Planning Commission relied on was presented there in the, in the term, in the terms of a hearing. Thank you. Are there any council comments? Council Member Bruno. Um, it, do, we, do you recall, can you tell me whether witnesses testified at the plan commission hearing under oath and how many? Uh, does anybody have a recollection of that? Yeah, the applicant testified uh, similar similar comments to tonight. That's all my technical questions. <laughs> Any council comment? Councilmember Niga. Yeah, this, you said there was revisions done, adding shrubs and things like that. How many times was that process? How many different iterations was that? You know, I don't, I don't know exactly how many iterations back and forth. I think from the beginning, staff indicated that we had concerns about the land use and weren't likely to support the special use permit and have stayed consistent in that. I think the applicant, as he looked at the findings, tried to address things that were in those findings. But every finding is required to be met in order to uh, to get a special use permit. So, um, you know, we just didn't think they met they could meet all the findings. All right, thank you. Anyone else? We already went to. I mean, you can still ask a question if you want to, but we already went to the op. So, comment. Councilmember Fianfetti. Um, this is a little challenging, but for me, the, the concern I have is that this is zoned MF1, and a lot of the district I represent is zoned MF1. And if we go through the, the, the logic of the special use permit in the MF3 uh, being a precedent, this opens up a precedent for a lot of the area that is represented in District 5 of setting a precedent to be able to have special use permits throughout that district. So um, that is uh, something that I have to take into consideration um, as we move forward with um, this consideration this evening. And I wanted to put it out there that one thing that is different about that special use was the MF3 versus MF1. Um, and that makes a big difference if you consider a lot of the neighborhoods in uh, areas throughout the city. Councilmember Bruno. I, uh, I intend to vote no on this. Um, and here's why. I believe we have a process set forth in our local ordinances, which are our local laws which um, delegates, not just in an advisory capacity, but in a statutory role, the plan commission, to make findings of fact. And they have made those findings of fact. 
and they have concluded that this special use permit should not be granted. So uh, I understand we could overrule that by a supermajority, uh, but I haven't heard any argument as to why we should overrule it other than uh, either your policies are flawed, and so we disagree with the city's policies about uh, what businesses should be allowed in and what development can be allowed in this particular area of land, and also the uh, concept that we, we just disagree with the findings of fact, uh, that this isn't going to be problematic. Now, I'd be the first one to modify a mandate for parking to make uh, less parking required. But I don't think the fact that uh, um, that I don't think that's persuasive in this case to have me overturn the findings of the plan commission and therefore I intend to support their findings and vote no on this ordinance. Councilmember Kyles. I actually like this I, I, the idea and the concept a lot. Um, um, small business is small business. Um, but I recognize the only, the, my only challenge with the whole thing is more so than anything is the process. And just a few months ago, a person came and kind of had some that I actually thought the idea was, was uh, just as, as great and I actually didn't vote for it because of the whole character of the community and the neighborhood and, and, and that. But I would like to um, have some type of discussion uh, at some point about this type of space because I do think that it's needed. And I do think that um, it's, uh, for a lot of reasons, it's needed. So I'll, I'll keep my comments to that. Councilman Rebeck. So I think that the, the, the danger is in uh, confusing the merit of the project and the merit of the zone. And in this particular situation, this is not commentary on the merit of the project. As Councilmember Kyle said, the project is a solid project. Seems like something that is worthy and something that could benefit the community. However, we are talking about an MF1 and not an MF3, which is the comparison that you've made for us with the previous, um, previous special use permit that was issued in MF3. So if you drive through those areas, which actually I do every day, drive past those particular areas um, that were mentioned, then you do see and you do understand that the feel of those communities, those parts of the communities are very different. Um, and so I'll be voting no on this, but again, I think that this is, again, it's important to not confuse the merit of the project and the merit of the zone. Anyone else? So I'm, I'm, a, I'm struggling a little bit. I actually drove by this again today just to relook at it. And um, it, it, it's a hard space. It, to me, it is, it is not MF3. It's not like the other one that, that we allowed. But it also isn't really squarely MF1 either. I mean, you, you do have the radio station. You do have Parkland across the street. You have some commercial uses. It is, 
it is more in transition than just single family right in that spot. And I know that this particular lot has been a struggle because I at one time talked to the radio station folks who I think were trying to buy it and be creative about what to do um, because it is just sort of an out-of-place parcel right right in that area. Um, like everyone else up here, I really do like the idea of the project. Um, I, you know, so I'm, I'm struggling. Um, and I do think there is the idea that it was, that it sets a precedent that we are willing to basically have commercial in the middle of residential, I think is something that I am concerned with. And clearly, um, it was something that, uh, plan commission was concerned with. So... With that, will the clerk please call the roll? Councilmember Pianfetti? No. Williams? No. Beck? No. Bruno? No. Fulmer? No. Gladney? No. Iningas? No. Kyles? No. Mayor Finan? No. The, um, so we uphold the plan commission, which means council bill fails. Please call the next bill. Council Bill 2021-170, a resolution approving a professional services agreement with Farnsworth Group Incorporated to provide engineering services for the Van Doren and Pine Street Sanitary Sewer Project. So moved. Second. This council bill will authorize the city manager to execute an agreement with Farnsworth Group Inc. and an amount not to exceed $55,230 to provide engineering services for the Van Doren and the Pine Street Sanitary Sewer Project. Are there any technical questions? Anyone in the audience wish to address this issue? Council comment? Clerk, please call the roll. Councilmember Pianfetti? Yes. Williams? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Falmer? Yes. Gladney? Yes. Eningas? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes. Council passes nine to zero. We are now in the point of our meeting for general audience participation. If you wish to address council on any issue, please feel free to step forward, state your name and city of residence. Please limit your comments to five minutes or less. We will also have um, an upcoming study session, but um, council comment or comments are now. Hello, everyone. My name is Drake Francis Mateer, a grad student at the University of Illinois, Champaign residence. We understand that Champaign has been riddled with violence uh, in the recent years, recent time. And I'm not just specifically talking about gun violence, but I'm also talking about structural violence. Members of the Fifth and Hill community have passed today, I mean, this year and last year, yet they have gone unnoticed and unrecognized. Members of the community are still wondering if Ameren intends to clean up the site there at Fifth and Hill. Let us come to my, uh, what's come to my mind, what I've heard, was that Ameren has purchased certain lots which are with the Courage Connection. Ameren historically has purchased lots that have been uh, uh, 
recorded to have high rates of benzene and other chemicals. So they purchased certain plots of land, probably removed the infrastructure, but used that to get the no further remediation letter. Ameren should not receive that letter. If Ameren were to receive a no further remediation, the chemicals that are in the groundwater right now will continue to plague the Fifth and Hill community, which is predominantly black and Hispanic. I understand that there's a lot to discuss and there's a lot going on, but I ask that we not forget the people in the Fifth and Hill community that have been going on for year 14, I believe now, 14 years, that they've been organizing to ensure that Ameren cleans up the site, that young children can live, that women can live, especially those who are facing, who are running away from violence with Courage Connection. I just ask that you keep them in mind. And again, members of the organization, the Champaign County Healthcare Consumers, are organizing again. So I thank members of, this, members of the staff and I thank uh, Councilmember Williams for coming to the table to discuss again with the Champaign County Healthcare Consumers to really put an end to some of the unfortunate uh, acts that are going on right now. So again, I'm gonna use these last couple seconds to just think about those who have lost their lives, members who are 80 years of age, 90 years of age, who have died from rare cancers that are preventable. I thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to address the council? Please step forward. All right, Tim Miller, Champagne. From the Bingo Fifth and Hill, um, I grew up in that community, and I really wonder why the health department, Champagne County Health Department, ain't looking at that as a cancer cluster. I could sit here and name off 20, 30 people out that neighborhood that died of cancer. I was growed up over there where they had hundreds of barrels that you could jump on and run across. When we went there with our BB guns, I was like 13 years old. Everything was in there was, was dead. We was gonna shoot rabbits, whatever we found, but it scared us out of there. Everything was in there was dead. From cats, dogs, possums, raccoons, the whole body, tail to the head. It ain't like it was Killed by an animal and ate, something killed it. And whatever killed it, the other animals didn't need it because it was a whole skeleton. And, and, I, I, and from Fishman Hill, how that started? I was at Douglas Center. And Ken Solomon happened to be in there. And he said, Walter, you got something that you can have my students look into? And I said, walk down the street to him. I took him to Fifth and Hill because I... One, one time I drove through there, there was a guy out there taking water samples, just, just normally, didn't raise no eyebrow or nothing. Two years after that, guy out there, full hazmat suit, tanking all. I, I didn't know what he was doing, but when he got done, I sat there until he got done and went to his car and took the stuff off. That's why he had it on. He said, this area has not been cleaned. 
I go around, I tell down all these areas like this, got benzene, all kind of stuff in it. I want to go home safe to my family. So I put this on to protect myself. And that's what had me had Ken look into that. And it's been about 15, it's been about 15 years, because that's like 2016 when I had Ken go out there. And we had this discussion several times about Fifth and Hill. Won't the health department do like other states doing? Take a step in there and see how many people died of cancer. Look into that. I'm up here about the homeless shelter. Though. Now, and the reason I'm up here, because Champaign-Urbana <coughs> needs to get serious about the homeless population, the homeless people, because we've got more apartments going up, less single houses. We don't have a homeless problem here until we deal with the problem. So we ought to have a homeless shelter ran by city government, not private people where this summer they shut it down. People had nowhere to go. Just think if they would do that this one. What, what, what if see you at home beside January 1st to go out of business? Where are our people going to go? We don't have a two-minute meeting and say, oh, we don't find a place for people. Let's get a shelter here. Let's be serious about this. I was in here in June saying, oh, winter's coming. You know, y'all like winter don't come around every year. Because y'all decided to do, do the shelter in the last three or four weeks to make it happen. We had six months to do that. I didn't talk to several council members about a shelter. I, I'm under the vial. I'm everywhere talking to homeless people. I'm giving them gloves. I'm giving them hats. I'm giving them food. I'm giving them hand warmers. You know, Thanksgiving, a lot of people showed up for the homeless people. Dropped off so much food, they couldn't even eat it all. You went there. You went down there, you thought it was where you load a trash compactor. You know, don't do it one day. Let's help these people every day. Let's get them a shelter. Get, get them a, they got $300,000 about security. Let's put $300,000 towards mental health. Let's put $300,000 towards uh, a real drug center here where the public can go to, where we ain't got to send them to, like, oh, we, let me see what I'm say. Rosecrans. I sat on the phone with Rosecrans with a girl yesterday for an hour and a half to tell her to come back two days later. She's ready to go and detox yesterday. And they say, after two hours, say, oh, you got to call us back in a couple of days. But I talked to the man, and he said they had a bed available that day. We need to fix this problem. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to address the council? Please step forward, state your name and city of residence. Good evening. My name is uh, Reverend Jacqueline uh, Minor, and I live on 1202 Christmas Drive in Champaign. I'm calling, I'm coming to the council to plead with you to check the traffic that has really gotten out of hand on Bradley. It is detrimental to kids crossing the street. The cars are racing at night. We cannot sleep the loud noisy, and it is, when you built that subdivision, you have to think about how does that impact the people in that neighborhood. That neighborhood is primarily seniors that have bought their homes, that have retired and would like to live a life without having to call the police at 11 and 12 o'clock because of noise. We are a community that have served in this community and we need to be, uh, these things need to be addressed. I saw a policeman one day when I was walking. 
And he said he would love to come and really see how the traffic was flowing. But he said he had been sitting there for just a short amount of time in the morning. And some of the cars were going 45, 50 in a residential. That, you can't cross the street. It is a problem, and it has to be addressed. I would hate for one of those cars to come in, lose con uh, control and come into our living room, or one of the young kids are getting off the bus would be an uh, accident. It is, it's continues to escalate. And I have mentioned this to several people, and I want something done. We deserve to have something done. We should not have to live in a community and a neighborhood where no one is concerned about what is happening because of increase in traffic. Traffic has to be monitored. They, you could, something, some kind of mechanism to slow those cars down from Fourth to uh, Goodwin, it, it has to be looked at. And so I would beg the council to just consider a study on traffic. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to address the council? Justin Michael Hendricks, Champaign-Urbana resident, creative hidden homeboy. I just want to challenge everyone here and also throughout the city of Champaign-Urbana and all the viewers watching. We have two food pantries. They're not funded by the city. They're not funded by private organizations. They are funded by ourselves as in myself and the community culture that we work together and do. I challenge you all to stock the food pantry. We have one here outside your city building and we have one at Bethel AME Church, which we're, which we're thankful for. Um, we also want to make sure that when we're stocking the pantry that we're making sure that we're being mindful and giving them good food. Also, when we also feeding the body, we want to clothe the body as well. So you can throw in some hand warmers, some gloves, some scarves. Take the time. When you go out to buy something for yourself, buy two items for someone else. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Counts comment. Okay. Sorry, come on up. Hello. Please state your name and city of residence. My name is Alex Taylor. I'm a resident of the city of Champaign, and I'm a PhD student at the University of Illinois. Uh, first, I just want to thank you all on the council for following up with a study session on some of the proposed changes to the police hiring process which I spoke in support of several months ago when they were first brought forward. I hope that the city ultimately adopts uh, all of the changes. These much needed changes will be a great first step to resolving the plethora of problems with policing. Of course, there is much more that needs to be done, but it is a good first step nonetheless. I wanna also talk about an issue that's very closely related to policing, closely related because we know that the police state exists to protect private property through the violent subjugation of black and brown and poor working class people. For example, privately owned housing. The moratorium on evictions in Illinois was lifted two months ago and every single day since then, the party for socialism and liberation has been going door to door talking with your constituents about their struggles with the ongoing eviction crisis and connecting them with the ERA emergency rental assistance and other resources. 
So far, we have collected 689 signatures from county residents in support of, an in support of continuing an eviction moratorium, and we will continue canvassing to help people access that emergency rental assistance, which has been concealed by an unnecessary, arduous bureaucratic application process. Evictions pose a grave danger to human life and well-being. Uh, being dehoused at this time with temperatures dropping and COVID cases rising means thrusting people into the cold during an ongoing public health crisis. And the amount of people at risk is no small number either. There are over 4,900 households <clears throat> in Champaign behind on rent payments. Recently, the Urbana City Council sent a letter to the Sheriff's Office on October 11th calling for a suspension of evictions. An additional letter was sent to the Sheriff yesterday, December 6th, uh, signed by the Party for Socialism and Liberation, the Champaign County Anti-Racist Coalition, the Graduate Employees Organization, the National Lawyers Guild of Champaign-Urbana, the Answer Coalition, and County Board Representative Emily Rodriguez. Together, we urge you guys, Champaign City Council, to call on Sheriff Yorman to cease evictions. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to address the council? Please step forward. Hi. Um, yeah, my name is Luke. Uh, I am a resident of Champaign. Um, I just wanted to. Do you to... have a last name? Oh, yeah. Luke Lee. Thank you. Resident of Champaign. Um, I just wanted to echo um, a few folks who have spoken. Um, Justin Michael Hendricks uh, saying, you know, making sure that our, our, our housing. Um, options are inclusive of um, not only men, as mentioned earlier, but you know, women, children, trans men, trans women, um, you know, gender non-conforming folks, intersex people. Making sure that, on top of that, you know, um, kind of reflecting what uh, another community member is saying about, you know, um, Fifth and Hill, and just making sure our housing services. Um, especially in the winter time, but all, all year round are as inclusive as possible to folks. Um, and uh, I, I also join Alex in calling on um, uh, well, I think um, I, I, I reflect Alex's sentiment too. Um, thank you very much. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to address the council? Okay, seeing none, council comment. Council Member Koss. I think there were a lot of uh, things uh, talked about tonight, definitely um, during public comment. Um, one being, we talked about mental health, definitely. That's something that I know we talked about in our, <coughs> talking about in our goal setting, which is critical and important because I think that after all of these years, uh, one of the, things that I will say is that even though we have efforts towards homelessness, as a whole, I think that society still doesn't understand homelessness. And so all of the efforts that we can put towards that is, is definitely important. I know that temporary housing is more of like a, a first step and it's an important step, but all of the other steps included um, are definitely important and things that I know that we are looking at. We talked about Fifteen Hill, definitely 
uh, want to follow up on that as well as um, the neighborhood. I believe that next next this study session that we're talking about as far as you know police recruiting as well as I know it's a pilot program I'm gonna say a bad word I think I'm gonna say a good word the the I think I'm gonna say some it's a pilot program but that's something that I believe that the peer ambassadors I say peer ambassadors the neighborhood ambassadors I'm sorry the peer ambassadors was a group that I worked with years ago but the neighborhood ambassadors, that would be um, definitely, um, um, I think, a task. Again, it's a pilot program, and it hasn't even expanded to that. But I think that that's something that would be also a resolution as it pertains to uh, neighborhood concerns and issues in the future could be. In the meantime, definitely seeing as much as possible if we could um, Look into the, the speeding. I recognize that officers are stretched, and so stretched as it pertains to staffing, and so being able to, you know, I understand both sides of the coin, but I recognize that it's an issue and something that we continue and, and need to work through. Anyone else? All right, City Manager, do you have anything? I have nothing, Your Honor. Vouchers. Madam Mayor, I move that we approve the vendor payments in the amount of $2,134,856.79. Second. Is there any discussion? All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed, same sign. They are paid. Madam Mayor, I move that we approve two payrolls. The payroll of November 12, 2021, in the amount of $2,046,269.08 and the payroll of November 24th, 2021, in the amount of $1,990,129.62. Second. Is there any discussion? All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed, same sign. Motion carries. We are now in our study session. City Manager, do you want to introduce everyone? Um, thank you. Happy to do that, Your Honor. Um, so this evening, we have a follow-up study session on the police hiring process. In July, the administration came forward to council to discuss some recommendations to modifying our police officer hiring process so that we can begin to implement a continuous hiring. During that study session, a number of other issues and questions were raised by council members and members of the public. And so this evening, we come before council to address those specific topics that were raised with some recommendations. And with that, I'm not exactly sure who's taking the lead on the presentation. Karen, I'm going to turn it over to Karen Hampton to lead our team. Thanks, Karen. Good evening, Council. My name is Karen Hampton, and I'm the HR Specialist for Human Resources. And with me today is HR Director Amanda Farthing. And then we have Sergeant Matthew Crane. And we also have with us today is Deputy Chief um, Tom Petrali. All right. So the hiring um, of police officers is a critical process with vigorous steps involving recruitment, evaluation, selection, and entry level of entry level police officers. This multi-step process consists of a written exam, allocation of preference points, 
ranking of candidates in order of qualifications, panel interviews, background investigation, pre-employment medical, physical, and psychological test. The hiring process is administered by the human resources and the police departments with, outside, with the help of outside vendors under the direction of the Board of Fire and Police Commissioners. During a July uh, 2021 study session, council expressed an interest in other elements of the hiring process, including the criteria for perform preference points, ways to ensure community involvement in the interview process, and the city's use of vendors to conduct pre-employment psychological evaluations, including assessment of racial bias and potential job applicants. Recent changes adopted by council. Council has adopted several goals related to police officer hiring, including implementation of the process allowing continuous acceptance of evaluation of job applicants, as well as recruitment of a marketing and development um, to target strategies and design for robust marketing and sourcing of well-qualified, diverse job candidates. On September 21st, Council adopted several process changes to help accelerate the hiring process. And we're gonna address those shortages. <clears throat> Allowing the acceptance of applications on a continuous basis. This is one of the processes that we put in place eliminating the interview of uh, interview process conducted by the Board of Fire and Police Commissioners. Another process to help with the uh, process is eliminating the Board of Fire and Police approval of the final recruitment eligibility list. And then eliminating the Board of Fire and Police approval of police hiring recommendations, giving authority to the city manager removing the number of applicants that, be, that can be considered for advancement and the number of applicants that can be considered on the eligibility list. Police hiring process follow-up and actions. Staff is before you today this evening to provide you with an update of the hiring process since July 20th. 2021 study session, particularly related to preference points, chief interview panels, and psychological evaluation process. First, preference points allocation is a commonly used method to incorporate specific job criteria into the early stage of the assessment of applicants that possess certain qualifications and providing a way for an applicant's score and rank on the hiring list. It is an important piece of the hiring process because it can elevate one's per, one person's chance over another person. Preference points are often established, or it's, I'm sorry, Preference points are established by the Board of Fire and Police Commissioners 
and their official rules and regulations. Historically, the City of Champaign preference points allocation for entry-level police officers have included five preference points for veteran status or five preference points for a bachelor's degree in any field or an associate's degree in law enforcement, criminal justice, fire services, emergency medical services, and up to five preference points maximum. Updating the preference points areas and, and allocations may afford the city of Champaign with more competitive edge to other municipalities in recruiting and hiring local and diverse police officers. The next chart will illustrate a comparison of preference points for police officers in the, in the region. So the chart that we're looking at right now, um, the city of Champaign's preference points, as I stated before, uh, five points for bachelor's or five points for associate's degree in specialized fields of study, five military preference points, no residency preference points to a maximum of five preference points. If you look at the chart, most of, all of the municipalities have uh, military preference points and that's because it's mandated by law. And only two, um, actually only one other, the police department, which is Mattoon, offers educational preference points. The city, the uh, city of Springfield offers residency, Urbana residency, and Mattoon residency. Recommended changes to preference points allocation. Council expressed an interest in exploring the alternative preference points categories to provide preference points to qualified candidates based on their background and experience experiences. Ideas discussed by council included providing preference points for local residency and certain educational backgrounds as well as non-English language proficiencies. Staff met to discuss these ideas and formulate recommendations for adjustments to preference points to enhance equity and availability. Staff does not recommend using language skills as a basis for preference points because it is difficult, because of the difficulty for applicants being able to provide documentation to verify proficiency. Staff recommends that language skill be skills be considered as a preferred qualification at a later point in the hiring process, such as during the interview or the background. Adding availability of preference points for living in the city of Champaign may give candidates who already have a relationship and experiences within our community a higher placement on the hiring list. Staff also recommends expanding educational preference points to include a wider range 
of degree concentrations or majors in order to promote individuals who may have backgrounds and fields that are relevant to modern policing. In summary, staff intends to recommend to the Board of Fire and Police Commissioners um, the following changes to our preference points. So as I mentioned in the chart before, we only offer currently five preference points. So we're recommending and proposing that we're, we're gonna maintain the five preference points for bachelor's degree in any field. However, we wanna recommend changing the associate's degree preference points to 2.5, but for any field and any concentration. Or military preference points of five. And then we're proposing to add 2.5% residency for total maximum preference points of uh, 7.5 maximum. And a candidate can achieve the maximum preference points in different combinations. Bachelors, five. Residency, 2.5 equals 7.5. Veterans and residency, 7.5. Associates and residency, five. The Chief Interview Panel proposed changes. With the elimination of the board interview component, which previously involved a group panel that included community members, council expressed a desire for staff to take steps to ensure that community involvement and police officer selection process. The current process now includes one set of interview panel uh, interview panel um, members, referred to as chief interviews. Because, of the, because the police has historically been responsible for conducting the interview and forming the panel of participants. The top applicants are invited to interview when police officer openings occur. The chief interviews have historically included panelists, such as the police chief, deputy chief, police chiefs, police sergeant of training, other city staffs from other departments, one or two community members. Community members are often selected in the community, such as from organizations NAACP and local churches. Panelists receive instructions regarding how to conduct an objective interview, structured interview, and as well as prescribed scoring process. These structured interviews and use of the same interview questions. <clears throat> in an effort to better boast the involvement, the community involvement in the hiring process, Staff is working to expand the pool of community members who may be selected to serve in this role. The informal criteria used for selecting the panelists and the pool are persons selected from minority groups and organizations, persons who have current interview and or leadership responsibilities, 
persons or members of a local organization group involved in addressing the day-to-day -day social and e economic inequities of underserved communities. Community member, community panel member selection. Selection criteria has been uh, applied informally, but are not written in any policy. So to formally codify the community participation and the interview process, staff will add these criteria um, that, we, that I mentioned before to update the city's administrative policy that covers hiring procedures, along with the requirement that the chief use these criterias to include at least one community member in each chief interview panel. In addition, staff will be developing a custom mailing to local groups, organizations, and other community members to solicit future participation on the chief's interview panel and posting information, this information about this great opportunity um, on the city's website. I will now turn over the presentation to Amanda Farthing, who will now present psychological evaluation process. Thank you, Karen. So another area of discussion um, that's, uh, that we've had since the um, study session in July is around the city's use of a pre-employment psychological exam when hiring police officers. So the purpose of a pre-employment psychological evaluation is to assess whether a police officer new hire is free from any uh, emotional or mental condition that would likely adversely affect the, um, the ability to perform the job safely and successfully, and also to assess whether the individual is capable of handling the psychological demands of such a difficult job. A psychological assessment is generally considered a medical inquiry which can only be made by an employer after a conditional job offer is extended. So with that in mind, the psychological assessment is not used as an applicant screening tool. So the city's current psychological evaluation process consists of four objective assessments plus a structured clinical interview with a licensed psychologist. The assessment tools that are used in our current evaluation process include the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory, which is the MMPI. That's the one most folks have heard of. Uh, it also includes the Inwald Personality Inventory, or the IPI2. Uh, the third assessment is the National Comprehensive Assessment for Public Safety, which is an assessment that was developed in-house by the current vendor that we use. And then finally, the Wonderlick Personnel Test, which is also a, a commonly used personality assessment um, across multiple sort of contexts. So there were a few questions asked at the last study session about these particular tests, so I wanted to spend a moment to give a few details about it. Um, our process involving these assessments plus the uh, clinical interview follow the standards that are set forth by the International Association of the Chiefs of Police. Um, the assessments, these particular assessments are used by many, many law enforcement agencies across the country. Um, they've been well validated for use in the police officer hiring process particularly. Um, so what do I mean by this well validated concept? So federal guidelines require that in order for an employer to use any test or any assessment as an employment selection tool, 
the test has to undergo scientific statistical validation um, for that specific use and for that specific job. Um, so this particular standard makes it difficult for an employer to, for example, um, create their own test, right? So we wanted to make our own hiring test. It would be difficult for us to do that because we'd have to go through a process of statistical validation um, that requires collecting sort of a significant amount of data. Um, similarly, we, it, it's unlikely that an employer is going to um, sort of find an assessment and just bring it into their job context and use it. Um, because we have this requirement that we demonstrate that it's actually validated for predictive um, use in an employment setting. Um, so these four tests that we do that we currently use have already undergone those um, those statistical validation studies. The psych assessments um, built into our process measure approximately 40 psychological dimensions. Um, among those dimensions are aggression, emotional maturity, judgment and decision making personal and situational control, drug and alcohol use, antisocial behaviors, stress hardiness or stress tolerance, the ability to re relate to others, um, and implicit bias, among other things. So in our psychological assessment, we give these four exams. The psychologist then uses the results of these structured, interview, uh, sorry, structured assessments to conduct a detailed clinical, uh, excuse me, not inventory, interview of the candidate. Um, and then based on all of that information gathered, the, the psychologist formulates a professional opinion about the candidate's ability to successfully perform um, in the role. As I briefly mentioned, one component of the psychological evaluation considers the tendency towards implicit bias. The attitude skills that are included in the assessments, as well as the structured interview that takes place, assess exactly that. They assess implicit bias, they assess the ability to relate to others, and they directly assess racial attitudes and behaviors. All of these assessments give the psychologist sort of a solid profile of the candidate. Because the psych assessment is conducted post-job offer, these measurements aren't used as an applicant screening tool except as part of the um, psychological evaluation as a whole. But there are other ways that the city incorporates racial attitude assessment into the process of hiring and training police officers. So the, current, the city currently builds racial bias assessments into its training regimen for new police officers through the mandatory requirements for cadets at the Police Training Institute Academy, so PTI. This is the academy that we send all of our brand new police officers to. The PTI training uh, focuses the PTI training that focuses on racial attitudes and bias has been in place since 2010. From 2010 until 2020, PTI required all new police officers to complete an assessment called the Colorblind Racial Attitudes Scale, or COBRAS. This assessment assessed cognitive aspects of racial attitudes. The COBRAS consists of three scales related to racial privilege, institutional discrimination, and blatant racial issues. You might recall that this particular assessment was mentioned by members of the public at our last study session in July. So since 2020, PTI has been administering um, a mandatory nine-hour diversity and bias training course that they have titled Policing in a Multiracial Society Program, or PMSP. 
so according to the developers of this program, PMSP aims to intervene at the local level to address systemic concerns about policing. This course was developed as part of a collaborative effort led by staff at PTI, as well as U of I faculty in the African American Studies, History, and Educational Psychology departments. The competencies addressed in this particular program include awareness of one's social identities and racial beliefs, knowledge about theory and research related to police misconduct and experiences of racial minority communities, especially with the police and the criminal justice system. And finally, efficacy in applying the communication and basic policing skills that are learned at the PTI Academy in a culturally informed way. So these are the ways that racial bias um, measurements in particular are built into our police officer hiring and training process. And staff is actively exploring additional ways to incorporate these types of assessments or tools into the ongoing training and assessment of officers, even as they've moved onto the force. So finally, it's critical that the city select as police officers only those individuals who are going to be able to serve all members of the community in a fair and respectful manner. The psychological evaluation is one crucial piece in the selection process um, that the city entrusts a vendor to perform. So we rely on the vendor, um, the vendor's expertise and experience to guide the process and inform the process. The city currently uses a local vendor to perform the psych assessment services, um, but we've not evaluated the criteria that we use to select this vendor in a very long time. With this in mind, we plan to utilize a consultant who will help us identify the necessary and ideal qualifications um, that the city should require in their psychological services vendor. Uh, the consultant would also research the assessments and best practices that should be used when evaluating potential police officers in a modern law enforcement context. Um, and finally, this consultant would make recommendations on how the city should consider potential vendors in the future um, through an RFP process that would be conducted for the services. Our intention is to hire this consultant in early 2022. So I'll turn it back over to Karen now to kind of bring you a summary and describe our next steps. Okay, summary of the upcoming action steps. Staff will continue to work to improve the police officer hiring process through efforts that will begin implementing at the start of the 2022-23 police officer continuous testing process. To summarize next steps, staff plan to implement ongoing hiring process improvements, including revised preference points, make a formal recommendation to the Board of Fire and Police Commissioners to amend the allocation of preference points to include City of Champaign residency and revised educational preference points. Ensure community participation in chief interview panels. The city will update the administrative policy for hiring to reflect community participation in police officer interviews and solicit community member participation on the interview panels. Pre-employment psychological evaluation. Issue an RFP for a consultant to review best practices and use the results developed to develop selection criteria for future RFPs for a psychological services provider. We will now open up questions for counsel. Pardon? 
Karen? Oh, oh. pull your mic a little closer. Okay, sorry about that. Technical questions, Councilmember Bruno. Um, I'm curious about the preference points and the comment that was made that they are mandated by state of Illinois law, the preference points for veterans is, uh, if I heard you right, that particular five points is mandated by state law. But is the, what is the state law mandate that, that we give them five points and does it set out a framework for how many total points a community can consider or could you give them a thousand points for residency, a thousand points for an undergraduate degree, and five points for veterans thing because the state of Illinois says you have to give them five points. I don't understand how that's implemented. Okay, I'll try to answer that. So I don't have the statute in front of me. What I understand is that it prescribes only for, uh, obviously only for military or veteran service. It doesn't, the statute doesn't describe um, preference points on the whole. It just says that municipalities shall provide preference for individuals and then it spells out the type of service. I do not recall whether it specifies the points, but to your point, I- um, It's kind I, of a meaningless mandate if five points then uh, adopt whatever value by how many total points the community is awarding. Yeah, so I, I want to tell you that the answer is that it does specify the points, the, the limited capacity of that, but I'm sorry that I don't have it in front of me. Okay. Fred does. Well, <laughs> um, well I will. Um, I guess the rest of my stuff is comment, and I will have comment. Councilmember Gladney. So my question is also about the preference points. Um, so currently, we allow five for a bachelor's degree in any field, and five points for an associate degree, but specifically in law enforcement, criminal justice, fire services, or EMS, where the proposed preference points are keeping the bachelor's degree as is, but then lowering the associate's degree down to 2.5 points, in any field. Can you, can you elaborate on that? Well, <clears throat> staff got together and thought about the inclusiveness of the associate's degree preference points. So we wanted to be inclusive um, with all of the um, degree concentrations for associate's degrees. Um, and so we thought that five preference points for bachelors and then 2.5 for any um, concentration in the associates would kind of merit, merit um, the adjustment and make it equal. Because it's, the bachelors, you, you, you go to school longer for a longer period of time and you know, there's, more, um, there's more concentration there. So is, is the degree, getting a degree, is that required like by state statute at all for, for becoming a police no. officer? No, okay. So can you explain what, what is the importance that we are putting on just obtaining a degree, any degree? What's the importance that we're putting? Well, just to show I mean, I know what the importance is in, yeah. in general, culturally, societally, but, but specifically for becoming a police officer, what, 
what, what, what is the importance that we are placing on that? Well, just to show that you have uh, completed something and you have um, gone through a, you know, a commitment, you've made a commitment and you follow through on your commitment with that process. And then just higher level of education. City Manager, did you want to add something? So, you know, I think that it is important to recognize that uh, police officers, like many of the jobs that we do, um, they're, they're growing more highly technical, communication skills are more critical, critical thinking, and ability to problem solve. Many of the things that you go through in an academic program teach you those skills. Um, and whether or not your degree is in criminal justice or your degree is in social sciences or history, you still, by going through an academic program, program are learning written communication, oral communication, oftentimes teamwork and collaboration, again, critical thinking skills, problem solving, that all become skill sets that translate very effectively into public service careers, even if your specific degree discipline isn't straight down the line, technically criminal justice. Thank you. Do we have data right now? How many of our officers have either a bachelor's or associate's degrees? I don't have it here, but I'm sure we, we have it somewhere, but I don't have it here. All right, thank you. Other technical? Councilmember Pianfetti. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, can you explain a little bit more? I, I understand the, that there would be difficulty involved in assessing whether or not somebody does have proficiency in a language, but you mentioned that this might be addressed later on in the interview process um, because um, I was one of the people that was kind of championing this as a preference point, and, and I don't necessarily need it to be a preference point, but I, I still believe that um, because of the, you know, I think there are 73 different languages spoken here within our community. I think it's important that we do look to hire um, officers um, to the best of our ability that might be um, bilingual, trilingual. Um, I, I just wanted to know where in the process you were thinking that this might, they might have an opportunity to show that this is an additional skill that they have and how you may um, assess their proficiency from just, well, I, I sat in four years of X language class versus I can converse and feel comfortable conversing in that dialect. That's a great question. So at this time, what we're um, anticipating is to have that um, during the um, chief interviews, maybe ask those questions. Um, that would be one of the interview questions um, uh, during the chief interview process and also during the background investigation. Th thank you for that answer. But, but how would you assess the proficiency? Would be There would be somebody that spoke the language and have, like if I came in and said, I can speak Mandarin, you would have somebody that could speak Mandarin and ask a question to them and see if they could respond? Like in the chief interview, like maybe have a back, if that was listed on. And then I'm not putting you on the spot, I'm sure. just trying to assess like in a background mm -hmm. check, somebody could say, 
you know, how would you know in a background, like how would you assess proficiency in a background check? And, you know, I'm just trying sure. to see, see the balance in um, if, if, if you're sending them out and thinking they can converse in this language and, and it's nothing more than, you know, a, a few phrases that, that could be a detriment to the, the community in, you know, putting people in harm's way. So, so that's where this is more of a, a safety issue for me where I would rather it not be something we're looking at or that we really know how to assess their proficiency language at the language. Absolutely, and we're still formulating this, so we, we don't have the answer just yet, um, but we're still formulating the ideas on how to get, get involved with proficiency, unless Amanda has something. I was to... just gonna, gonna add something. I think partly the answer to your question isn't necessarily a very straightforward answer, right? So what we're talking about here is, is preference points. So putting at the beginning on preference points is difficult because in the best of times, we may have 200 applicants getting on that list. And so all they have to do is say, yep, I've got, I've got this for preference points because there isn't really any documentation that you can provide for that. If we move that sort of evaluation later on in the process, let's say at the interviews, right? The question can be, tell me about the skills that you have from a language standpoint that would make you a good police officer, right? So for example, and then that person has the opportunity to say, well, I'm proficient in Mandarin. I took you know, three years of such and such, and they're, they're gonna provide some detail information. Well, now we have this information, and if that person moves forward to hire, in the background investigation, we have the opportunity to say, look at transcripts. Like, so we have steps where we can sort of verify the statements that people make, and that's a somewhat easier check and balance because you know if they flat out lie in an interview and we find that out once they get on the job, well, we're gonna fire them, right? So, um, so that's sort of the way that we would evaluate. It's not a technical step necessarily, um, but, but it's a little bit more easy when you're dealing with one person and, and specific kind of skills to, to, to verify, if that helps. Thank you. Councilmember Fulmer. Yeah, so I just have a question um, related to the, the COBRAs. Um, so I, I don't know if I'm misunderstanding, but so, so I, I'm wondering, um, because that was something that was you know, really prevalent in, in what we heard from folks, and I think a lot of folks up here um, felt very strongly that, that that is a useful tool. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to understand, is there like remediation that happens if something is concerning? So, so it, it, in, this, in our report, it says that, um, that those assessments are primarily used for self-awareness and development. So what, what do we do with, like, um, yeah, what do we do with that? How do we, how do we make that useful and, 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 and pra pragmatic? Um, okay. Or, or these folks too, it's sort of a PTI question. Yeah. That's, um, it's a PTI uh, question, uh, or I'm sorry, process. And so what, what happens is that's over at the Police Training Institute. And currently, it's my understanding, and um, Sergeant Crane can probably chime in, but right now it's used for research. They're doing research right now. 
So there's, we don't have that data currently. Yeah, so the, the COBRA's test that you're referencing is a 20 question test. And currently that's my understanding is that PTI is using that for research. Um, so there's not that participant or end user feedback that you would get. And I think what you're describing or picturing is something that would be an assessment or um, a, a tool to use maybe during a field training program where when the results are looked at, there is ample time and opportunity to give the feedback and document things. Um, so aside from the preference point process, I think that would be uh, more fitting later on, probably in field training. Does that yeah, help? Yeah, so, so do, you, do you foresee it something that you could use sort of as a continuous or, or kind of like as a checkup? So I don't know if they're progressing, I guess. Sure. Specifically yeah. about the Cobras, my understanding is that the uh, current use of PTIs, it's for research. It's anonymous. It's a 20-question test. If I gave it to a group and asked you to put your name at the top, because it's so short, if you wanted to skew your answers, it would not be difficult to maybe assume how someone may want you to answer. Um, and it's so short that wouldn't be hard to stay consistent. Um, so that short of an assessment seems to be better suited for research purposes. And I think if you were wanting to get at implicit bias um, assessments that we would need to look at something uh, in a different format. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Any further? Any, Councilmember Beck. Um, is there anything that precludes us from we you had I want to go back to the language issue so you had said that the language languages would be considered in the chief's panel interview or potentially in the background because the assessment of the language would be too difficult to prove for the actual preference points, right? And so you are saying that you would like to verify or examine a person's use of language during the interview or the background check. But is there something that precludes us from doing both? For example, if a person said that they had a language ability um, and we had maybe three factors or four factors that that would be like they're a native that they were a native speaker of that language and that English was their second language or they checked off that they had a degree an academic degree in that language or that they had lived abroad and had spoke that language like multiple factors that they could say in their preference point that perhaps they do not have to give us a proof of evidence of, but they put in there as, in their, as evidence that they claim, because I'm assuming when they sign their thing at the bottom, they say that they consent, that they are saying everything that they have given to us is true and factual, right? That they're swearing to that when they sign it, um, as we do in many different applicant forms. Um, so then why couldn't we put that as a preference point in the actual application and then in our interview, 
and in our background do verification of it through our process. Just as if we did any of the other things that we have as preference points on here, we would also need verification or we would do discussion of those things and preference points. Is there something that precludes us from doing that? That's a very good question. And so I'm going to, um, so my answer would be, and Amanda can chime in if, if it's hers would be different. My answer would be that it's easier to verify an educational preference point or residency preference points because we're looking at documents. We're not, we're not listening to someone speak or but again, we're, I'm not asking for them to verify it. I'm still following what you said, mm -hmm. which is going through the process at the back end, but you're putting those candidates who potentially, and they're swearing to it because they said that they are, potentially at the top of the list so that we can have a further look at those candidates. So is there something, and this is a yes or no question, is there something that precludes us from doing that? No. Uh, no. No. Okay. Thank you. Anyone else have technical questions? Councilmember Williams. As it relates to COBRA, so is is it my understanding that you said it's just used for research purposes? So it's not necessarily a scale that is going to, I guess. Um, evaluate an individual or just for data is it would that be correct to say so i i have limited knowledge about cobras but what i do know is that pti has used this uh for about or 10 plus years and and they've done it in a in an anonymous fashion for research purposes and they um will issue it at the beginning of recruit training class and then you get your police officer training with different classes, skills, and then they give it again at the end and looking for a difference or a change. And that's part of their research. Um, I think, I, I don't know if I caught all of your question, but if you give it to, yes, you do give it to one individual person and it is just an assessment for them. Those 20 questions should give them in a numerical value scores in three different categories to tell if they're aware of racial disparity, racial issues in society, and it'll give them a look into those three categories. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? If anyone in the audience wishes to address this issue, please step forward. We're let these guys clear out. And then please state your name and city of residence, and please limit your comments to five minutes or less. Mark Till Miller, Champagne. I'm looking at, you know, when we're hiring police officers in this day and age, we've got to really think out the box. When I say think out the box, right now, we, in a lot of communities where the African-American community they've been through so much with the police, they don't even trust the police department a lot. They're not even, you know, when they come and try to get witnesses, they, it's, they say they scared them, but they just don't trust officers. When you don't trust nobody, you don't, 
don't, don't, don't, don't communicate with them. That's what I'm going to say. Um, I think when we're looking at hiring officers, we need to hire like a community advocate to work with the police department. When I say that, someone that can go in the community, that's a community trust, don't have to have a badge or a gun, but he could be trained or, because I'm an advocate, and, and for me being an advocate, I get probably just as much information as the police does on, on a lot of stuff. I can get the name, all like that, but I work on trying to get the people to come and get rid of the criminals. And it's really hard for me because the trust that's been broken down from the police in the community. And it's just, I'm tired of the gun violence. You know, my daughter, uh, my granddaughter, I said my daughter, my granddaughter, just this week, they had a person yell gun in the school, police showed up with guns, and she's, I know it's got her where she, she just don't know how to feel in school. School is not a safe place. When I went to school, school is like a safe place, sometimes safer than the neighborhood. You know, and we got to figure out. We can have all these different officers and train them to carry the gun and most up, but we need to be where we're solving murder crimes, you know, where we feel safe, we don't feel like when the police pull in the community that they're here to do something other than to serve us. You know, we, and I'm hoping that we get a chief here. I hope you do right with the chief, but when we come to hiring officers, let's look at hiring the right kind of officer. We, we, we know who the bad officers I knew all the bad officers 10 years ago. I came up and named five officers right off the bat. I had officers sitting here, I ain't going to name him. I filed a complaint on him and still don't know what my complaint is. Went to, went to the police station, filled out the complaint, talked to the officers, and then I couldn't get even a copy of my complaint. Y'all heard my story up here. You know, but when we deal with this police department and hiring, let's try to make it work for everybody. That's all I ask. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Again, my name is Reverend Jacqueline Miner, and I live at 1202 Christmas Drive in Champaign. Can you pull think, that mic down a little bit? Okay. Perfect. I, I think my major concern is that we don't like to talk about the climate of where we're at in this country, in the nation. And I think it's critical when I think about the PTI training is that we make sure that our police officers are not involved in a lot of these right-wing uh, white supremacist organizations. Because once they get in, it probably will be very difficult to fire them. So I think because we did not look at this and we didn't see this coming, we gotta make sure that we understand the climate that we're in. Because it is, if you look at the, the uh, data, there are a lot of kind of undercover kind of organizations that some of our military and police are involved in. And I think that we have to be very clear about what is going on in this country. We cannot continue to look the other way because everyone does not want us to live in unity. And we know that by January the 6th. So we have to be clear about making sure 
where are officers, how they feel about racial diversity, how they feel about people of color, how they feel about uh, making sure that they honor the Constitution and the laws of the land. So I, I really do want us to look at this. We, we tend to not want to look at what is going on in the world, in our local governments. But we have to start doing that because it's affecting us in so many ways. And we don't want these kind of attitudes to be on, on our police force. So that's what I would say. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Please step forward, state your name and city of residence. Hi, my name is Nicholas Dale. My city of residence is Champaign, Illinois. Uh, I think we need to go about uh, not only with uh, the hiring process, but fighting crime in general. Uh, we need to th think outside of the box on the way that we do it, because after looking at the FBI's uh, clearance rate for crimes, I mean, it it's sad that crimes continue to happen and the police can't do anything until after it's happened. I don't know if we have to install cameras. I saw that uh, uh, Urbana uh, shot down for traffic light cameras. That would help in the collection of evidence. Um, and after looking at the uh, police salaries on the budget, it's astonishing how much they make uh, with how little we feel as a community that we're being served with. The gun violence is at an all-time high. It has to stop. All violence has to stop. Um, so I just ask that you keep that in mind. We need to think outside of the box. We need to do more than just hire more police officers. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? My name is Marcy Goldstein. I'm from Urbana, Illinois. And uh, talking about the COBRA and the other tests that's given as part of the Police Training Institute, and the way it's used. Um, it seems to me that determining racial bias would be something you'd want to do before you hire somebody. The test means nothing if it's used just for research purposes. You have an aggregate number of, who, of how many of the officers have racial bias, but you don't know who specifically does. And we shouldn't even have someone on the force that does. And so I don't understand why it's in the post-employment training and not part of the pre-employment process. Thank you. I actually think that our HR director said that we're not allowed to do it pre-employment because of the law, but I'll let her respond to that when she gets back up. I have uh, Sundi Adachaju, a Champagne resident. I've got several questions, and I'm not sure if I simply misunderstood some things. So in part, I'm seeking clarification. And one of the items I'm seeking clarification on concern your preference points for education. Is it correct that a BA in any field, you receive five points, and they're now recommending that that continue and that and then they're now going to change it so that an AA in any field you also receive five preference points. Is that correct? 2.5. Okay, good. Good because that was concerning me.
another question I have is, should the change be in a, simply an administrative policy or should it be something that takes on more permanence as, say, part of the city code in terms of those changes? And finally, in regard to the Cobras, it is one of the most widely used tools among psychologists to assess racial bias. We've been using it since 2012 at PTI. And yes, we use it for research purposes for the simple reason that we don't have an agreement with a city where we can get individual police officers who come through to sign their name for the assessment. If there was such an agreement where there was an expectation that they would sign up and we would know who the individuals are, then it could be used for additional types of purposes. Now, some of the things that we found out, well, let me, let me clarify uh, a point made by the officer who was sitting here. COBRAs is about the length of most of these tests. It's not a short test. It's within the, uh, it's comparable to most of these psychological tests. Now, some of the research that we've done, and of course it's nameless, we've discovered that we can group and categorize respondents into at least four categories, right? And the category that most concerns is what we call an aggressive racist. And in the comparison group of over, I think we had 300 people in that sample, what we discovered is that police officers, while a small percentage fall in that category, a much larger percentage of police officers fall in that category and fall into the next most racist category than do <coughs> students, which were our, our comparison group. And so there, there, there's clear use for the COBRAs in your evaluative process in terms of decisions to hire. And what I would urge is that whether it's the COBRAs or another process, you need an instrument that is going to get at racism. And what's unique about the COBRAs is that it ferrets out colorblind racial attitudes and not simply blatant racial attitudes. It gets at the subtleties, right? And of course, it's been tested in terms of its psychometric uh, capabilities. You can't get an article published in a major psychology journal when the psychometrics are off. That's what, that's what peer review is for, is to check and make sure that it meets the standards of scholarship. So some of the comments that were made here, uh, they simply don't understand the process and they don't know what they're speaking to. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to address the council? Hi, um, I'm Luke Lee again, Champagne. Um, and I don't know if y'all are allowed to answer questions right now. Uh, no? Okay. Well, Mayor Fine, and you said a minute ago after Marcy commented on, like, you know, how she thinks it, it would be better to, you know, have these, this COBRA test and these other right, racial bias um, examinations administered like prior to hiring as part of a part of the hiring process. Um, and then you, you mentioned that it's not legal or, or something like that. Um, or you, you can respond if you, if you are, are allowed to, but 
um, there's some kind of like statute or law or something that that, that made that illegal or, or you can't do it. Um, I think. Um, I mean, I, I I agree with Marcy. I think just and, and with Dr. Chajua, you know, using this information from the Cobras and other racial bias tests simply as um, just to collect data anonymously is not going to um, affect immediately folks' lives. And again, we shouldn't have folks who are going to police in a biased way um, on the force. And I think it's worth reconsidering whether that, that law or that statute should be in place at all that, 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 that bans that from happening. Um, and that's that would be a start. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Lynn Stuckey, Champagne. Um, I'd like to thank the folks who've been working on this. It's obvious they've been working on putting a lot of thought into this and trying to figure out some of the best ways to move forward. <laughs> However, I'm going to stand up here and say something I never thought I would say at a Champaign City Council meeting, which is maybe we need to think a little more like Matt Toon does on this. Um, I'm very concerned when I look and I see that a bachelor's or an associate's or veterans, they're kind of all in the same band. And I think the education needs to be separate from the military experience. And Maybe I'm misunderstanding some of the questions tonight, and maybe I'm misunderstanding some of the intent behind it. It feels like it's an, in, it's an attempt to make sure that we're not bringing forms of economic discrimination for families where the children could not afford to go to college and went to the military instead. You know, I, I get that, and I think that's a good thing. However, there are people who earn associates and or bachelor's degrees in the military. There are people who choose education rather than military service. And I do think that there needs to be a differentiation there because one of the things that we've been talking about for years and years and years, many times in here, is the militarization of our police. Standards, tactics, practices, even the kind of people we're recruiting. And when you're making education or military experience, it feels like you're kind of pushing possibly some of the educated folks out. So please reconsider that. Please think about going to 12 and a half rather than 7.5. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Okay, seeing none, I'm going to ask our group to come on back. And since I raised it, I'm going to ask our HR director to just clarify if what I heard relating to testing before we make the offer. Sure. So um, I think your, your interpretation was perhaps half correct. So the psychological assessment cannot be done pre-offer. That's a medical inquiry. A racial bias assessment is not a medical inquiry. So there is an opportunity to do that earlier in the process, but then we run into the challenges of test validation. So that, that law that we're kind of um, referring to, it's the Uniform Guidelines on Employment Selection Procedures, and it's a federal standard. So 
It's not something you all have the opportunity to change in the code, for example. Um, but it does require that any test that you use as a selection tool has to be validated for the context and, and locally validated for your specific job in your specific environment. So w we are always very cautious when we use um, kind of pass-fail or black and white least scored tests in employment contexts because of the existence of those guidelines. Is this part of what you're hoping the vendor will help Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Fix or, yeah, okay. to, to identify, and this kind of gets at some of the other comments as well, to identify what assessments are out there that are well validated. What, what exists in the psychometric or the pre-employment testing world that can get at racial bias and what can we use? We don't have all that information, so. Okay, thank you. Council comment. Council member Beck. So I, uh, I guess I was a little disappointed in a couple things. One was that um, the way in which it was presented to us tonight, we, we, we kind of gave a list of things that we wanted to have brought back to us and, and that we would want those involved in the preference points. And the way it was presented to us was you're, that you're going to take, you took some of that information, you redid the preference points and that these are the preference points you're going to then present to the board, regardless of our input. Is that, because that's, that's the way it was framed. So is that, is that not what I'm hearing, I'm not hearing that correctly, or? No, the point of tonight's study session, council member, is to get council input. Just like anything else, we bring recommendations, mm -hmm. but if you don't like our recommendations, the point of tonight's meeting is for council to provide other direction before we make a recommendation to the Board of Fire and Police. Okay. Because that wasn't the way it was presented to us. So I'm, I'm, that just was concerning to me. Um, so I, uh, I would want us to go and revisit before bringing it to the police and fire board um, to include the, um, the testing of some sort of a bias mechanism. We do need to have that in there. Um, I think that was made pretty clear in the last time that we wanted that in there, but I don't see it anywhere in the preference points. So if we could assign some preference points to that and then know that we need to find the tool that's going to measure that, then I think that would be what I would want to do. So I would want that to be weighted in a certain fashion. And so I guess that I was hoping that that would be included in here so that we could talk about how that would be weighted within the context of this. Also the languages, we were told we couldn't include those, but I think there, you know, I brought up some ways that perhaps we could include, still include those as, um, as a possibility with the preference points. It was made pretty clear by the um, council that language was a consideration that we wanted in preference points, but I don't see the preference points for language reflected in here at all. So I would want to see that before we made any recommendations. Um, third, the military veteran piece. I think that if we're going to change the proposed preference points for the associate degree, then I would want to change the military veteran preference points as well so that they reflected more accurately what the experience that they bring to the table as it relates to policing is this, and how that relates to the job itself in reflection to 
two and a half points for associate degree or five points for bachelor's degree. If we're not mandated to assign it a certain percentage of points or a certain weight within our context, then I'd like to see that down to a smaller number than an associate's degree. Um, and then finally, with the um, Champagne residency, I think two and a half points is too small. I think it needs to be much larger. I think it needs to be at least five points because we've, we've made it pretty clear that we are looking for people who live in our community to become police. And so I would like for that to be much higher. I think that will also bring a more diverse candidacy. It will, it will allow us for us to have people who reflect our community to be at the top of the list. So um, just to cap off what I said, I'm looking to include language on here. I'm looking to include a, a bias tool. Um, I'm looking, whether that's measured through an aptitude test of some sort or some testing mechanism that would not be considered a typical psychological profile of, you know, of a, uh, that would be looking for um, a, like a, an access to or something. We don't need, we don't need a diagnostic tool uh, to be used, but we do need something that would be looking at racial bias and that would uh, perhaps give us a view of aptitude. Uh, and then the Champaign residency, a higher number, the military veteran reflected uh, so that it's um, under the associate degree uh, 2.5. All right, thank you. Anyone else? Councilmember Bruno. Uh, generally, I want to say that I agree with Councilmember Beck's uh, emphasis on what we should be giving greater weight to, and and just by uh, comparative uh, balancing what gets less weight. So if the state says you have to do five points for military training, then we should move the decimal point one over on all the other things that we care about and give 50 points for a degree and 50 points for residency. Because frankly, um, I, I looked up what the state of Illinois requires for its employees and it's really um, pretty transparent about what's going on here. Um, the educational requirements needed to join the Illinois State Police are waived for veterans who've been honorably discharged with a campaign medal of service in Afghanistan or Iraq. Well, uh, but if you were with the Green Berets in the Ukraine uh, or you were assigned to Germany as a medic, you don't get that waiver. You get it if you served in Afghanistan or Iraq. The Illinois Conservation Police, uh, the educational requirements are waived if you served in the Southwest Asia Service Medal, Kosovo Campaign Medal, Korean Defense Service Medal, Afghanistan Campaign Medal, Iraq Campaign Medal, or Global War on Terrorism Expeditionary Medal by the United States Armed Forces. So what the state of Illinois is doing to us is saying, you must not only take people to honor them for their service in the United States military, but we want the ones that were in war. We want, those are the ones we want to move to the top of the pile um, as our police officers. And that does a, you know, 
I don't want to be anti-military here, but we're hiring police officers and giving this much focus to people who come back having um, had the experience, the trauma of um, gunfighting in wartime um, strikes, strikes me as a weird life experience to mandatorily move you to uh, up the pile. I'd like to see a preference points for somebody who served in AmeriCorps or the Peace Corps or maybe somebody who uh, did something else equally important to the service of their country. And I'm, you know, I'm not anti-military. I just, we're talking about employment of police officers and uh, this focus seems to be virtue signaling by the Illinois State, the Illinois General Assembly of look at how, you know, when, look at how we love our military. We're gonna give them these preference points and we're gonna ram it down the throats of communities. You have to put these preference points in your selection process. Uh, whereas um, I think it ought to be a local choice. And that having been said, I'd like to see us tinker with our selection process to de-emphasize the preference for, for combat military service and emphasize other uh, ways you can serve your country or your fellow men. I'm gonna go to the city attorney because I think he might have information for us on the military preference point. Yeah, we, you know, we adjusted. Oh, sorry. We, <laughs> it's a good thing I have a moderator next to me. Um, yeah, we adjusted our military service points in our city code. Our city code now provides for a lot of the same, same uh, preference points during times of hostilities that the state does. They were adjusted back oh, probably 15 years ago, 20 years ago now. That's how we give our preference points now. That's what the city code says. Uh, you can adjust the city code. And the five points, oh, let's clarify, the five points in our code, it says five percentage points, not just five points. And this is, we're talking about police. But, but the state statute doesn't require five points or that it be weighted higher than other types of preferences? The, the, the state, statute, um, state statute says five points. Ours, our city code that we've adjusted, uh, says five percentage points are added. I just want to make sure that that was clear. That was discussed about earlier. And, and the preference points are given because our city code says that they're given. Uh, we follow the state statutes uh, where necessary. Uh, we've taken steps here to do something a little bit different. Other comments? Councilmember Gladney. I would echo the comments of Council members Beck and Bruno, <clears throat> uh, it sort of sounds like we're a little stuck with the military uh, service points, but I would totally be in favor of raising points for um, residency uh, from two and a half to five. Um, the education component is interesting. I, I appreciate the explanations given about why they're there and why they're used and, and whatnot. Um, I would argue though, 
it's not a hill I'll die on, but I would argue that I would just be in favor of keeping associate degree at five. Um, if we want to change it to in any field, okay. But, you know, I mean, I was pretty sure, but I just researched it just to be certain. But, you know, you can become an RN with an associate's degree. Um, apparently that is, perhaps that trend is changing a little bit, though. But, I mean, if it's, if, you know, if it's good enough for nursing, uh, I feel like it, you know, it's certainly good enough for, for, um, for policing. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. For some reason, I'm a, I bristle a little bit at, you know, at, um, docking points for someone who was able to get an associate's degree. I mean, I feel like that's an accomplishment just as much as getting uh, a bachelor's degree. Sometimes it just depends on your life circumstances. Um, so anyway, uh, I also think that we could, if we can, assign preference points for um, um, bias testing results. Um, I understand that we all have a bias, biases, um, so you're not going to get anyone without any, but um, the lower those biases are, then um, I think uh, we should assign a preference point number accordingly. And yeah, those are my thoughts. Thanks. Councilmember Fulmer. Thank you, Your Honor. I, um, <clears throat> I also want to uh, echo some, some thoughts from my colleagues. I certainly agree that um, I'd like to see something uh, around language, um, if at all possible. I, I, think, I do think, um, given the, the diversity of languages in our community, it would be really uh, beneficial for us to uh, consider that. Um, anything we can do related to the bias assessment, I think, um, would be great. Um, I think you know, if we can do something pre-employment, um, I, I, that would be my preference. Um, if it has to be post-employment uh, post offer, um, then, so the one thing that I was really struggling in this uh, report is related to the number of hours, related to, um, training around um, policing in a multiracial society. And so, you know, as someone who works in a, in a very diverse environment, um, who I, I, I recognize and, and think that it's critically important that we're continuing that training and, and really ensuring that um, a perpetual training schedule is is part of just our everyday life, right? Um, and so I think that continuing to pursue those racial bias assessments um, is critical to um, ensuring uh, appropriate responses to our community. Um, I think that I'm, I'm kind of okay with um, whether the, the veteran points stay as they are um, or, well, I think I, I think I prefer that the veteran points are separated from the, the education component and that you can get both 
um, and allowing both to, to be true. So as someone from the audience mentioned, um, allowing an increase in the total number of points allowable um, and increasing the residency to, to five, I think is, um, or, or at least to five, I should say, is uh, great. I also, uh, one thing that we haven't brought up that I, I feel like we had talked about um, was related to degrees in the humanities, and I understand that this feels a little ambiguous. However, um, maybe that means that we add an additional category that is two and a half points if you have a degree in the humanities. Um, I think one of the arguments in our report is that um, we would miss out on people who um, don't have the understanding required for policing, but I think my argument is exactly that, actually, that uh, uh, an understanding and education in the humanities actually provides us a, a better um, for police, uh, uh, police uh, group. So I, I think that it, it is, you know, I, I do think that that's something that we should be considering. Um, and I was disappointed that we didn't include that because I, I feel like we heard a lot about that. So I, I would like to see that. Um, that's important to me. Councilmember Pianfetti. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, and thank you for the report. Um, I know there was a lot of work that went into it. Um, I, of course, um, anything that could be done that may bring language into the preference points, I would appreciate. Um, I did like Council Member Beck's, maybe the idea of if somebody has a degree um, in that language, like or, or a minor or something that could just elevate it up, that seemed like something that was tangible. It seemed like a, a good idea to me. Um, I, I, I guess I may be in a little bit of the minority in this, um, but I, I like the idea of sort of, I, I, I know we need some sort of implicit bias testing, but I also like the idea um, when they're in PTI that there might be something a little bit more intensive done there, and that might be to your point, um, Council Member Fulmer is that it would be more ongoing instead of that moment in time where somebody might know that they're being tested and for the purpose of whatever they are, they are answering the way they think they should be tested or they should be answering. Um, so for me, I was sort of leaning more towards finding what do we need to make sure we are actually getting the, the individuals and the officers that we need because I, I guess in my head I thought if there was somebody that that just isn't making the mark through whatever this new new um, testing procedure might be, that was when they may be weeded out that this that they that they would never come into our fold. Does does that make sense? That they're that's sort of that's what the institute does when they become candidates. If we see a red flag, the city would sort of work with them either to make them what they needed to be or we, it would be sort of like a contingent hire. Now, that might be my misunderstanding of how this would operate, but maybe that is something that I would also think would be good, would be that 
you know, this ongoing development, this isn't just a process, but if there is a need to have some sort of improvement. Um, but for me, I feel like sometimes if people know, they know how to skew the test. I, I mean, I, I think that was, you know, I, I, I don't know. So, so I, I'm sort of, I, you know, I think if there, there's a way that we could do it, I would be okay with it, but I also feel like I don't want to drop that other component w that comes when they are now um, candidates and that they are that we are working with because I think that needs to be ongoing and, and making sure that we do have the people that and the officers that we want. Um, so, what else? Um, Humanities that you said, um, I, I thought that was caught up when we said in any field, but um, you know, I'm okay highlighting that. Um, and I, I agreed with a lot of the other things that were being said, so I'll keep my comments there. So thank you. Listen, Councilmember Williams. Uh, I just want to, like everyone else is um, echoing uh, each other. So um, I will say I do understand the rationale when it comes to the associate's degree. It, it, you do take a little bit less time with a two-year degree than a, than a four- or five-year degree. Um, but that when it comes to that, um, education is important. Um, um, I would say you probably, I think we should stretch it out a little bit more and maybe add those points and take away maybe 2.5 points from the action, from the military um, veteran um, uh, preference points. Um, other than that, I believe everything else has kind of been said that I, that I echo and I agree with um, about the, um, the language, um, the language preference points or, because we, we do have a, um, we have a community that is very diverse. And so having officers that are able to come to a, a scene to maybe speak Spanish or French or something like that, that'd be, that'd be great to have. Um, what else? Also the, the, the bias um, testing before we get the candidate into, um, into in, in, to, to work for our city. But other than that, great presentation, appreciate it. Thank you all for, for, for bringing this information towards us. Thank you. Councilmember Kyles. I too want to thank everyone for all the work that's going in. Verse, um, all parties, I always say, community staff and city council, there's a lot of work that goes into these. And I did hear a lot of the community input as well as um, things that we talked about on, um, on council. Uh, unrelated to the study session, but truly related to the issue is I, I know for a fact that we need to continue to create ways for high community engagement. I think that um, you can hire a person um, and, the harsh, and, and the reality is um, um, we said that and this has been a past comment that officers um, and, and community need to be together in, in regards to knowing each other and being able to relate to each other. Um, I think that's okay to say, you know. Uh, well, in fact, I know it's okay to say. It's okay to say that when things go south, people call officers, and that officers play an important role in our community. I also think that it's okay to say that when we face challenges, like any relationship, we should be able to vocalize those challenges, and it still should be okay 
for us to see how we can move forward together. Um, I think that a lot of things that were discussed tonight um, were important. I go back again to one unrelated to the study session, but related to how we improve our community is that oftentimes when we talk about the community relationship with officers, we typically talk as council members or staff members or, but rarely do we have, or are there, I won't, yeah. You don't always see the engagement one-on-one with um, uh, community members vo vocalizing those things. Because I think to Mr. Miller's point, that's how you break down, continue to break down barriers. I understand that in this environment right now, obviously, with um, why we're talking about recruiting and shortages, those things are, are challenging to, to set up outside meetings, but any time way that can happen organically, I believe that that would be a positive thing, whether it's in everyday interactions um, or, or whatnot. For me, personally, as far as the veteran points, I am fine with keeping them the way they are. Um, I do understand the dialogue and conversation, um, but I mean, um, maybe it's cut, maybe what do you put that on your disclosure as a military vet? Then yeah, I'm I'm fine with that. Um, I think the two biggest things in Alicia or Councilmember Beck to be formal um, talked about it. Um, for me, was the number one the residency points. Um, I do believe that um, there are often barriers to getting residency in general, and so anytime we can encourage it, so you know, at least five points. If anything would be raised, I'd raise it to seven and a half, but the general number is five, so I'm fine with saying five. And being able to, the, the racial bias, I know that there are some things that we're trying to work through, and I think that's a big deal. It's important. And after the job, you know, after you get the job, being able to, to determine and figure that out is kind of, um, it's kind of late in, 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 in the process, in my opinion. But those two are the biggest as it pertains to um, um, what I believe would be able to, as we talk about improving relationships, but the improving and the, the quality of our conversations where one day we actually shift the conversation to how we are working more together. I think those are the, those are the, the uh, I think those are the things that you know, we t we've talked about um, police community relationships, and if we were to be just direct, we've talked about the police and black community forever. And it, I would love for, and maybe this is ideal, uh, but I think that we can do it. So I, I don't, that we change the conversation and we highlight um, the, 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 the changes that have been, the things that we're doing today are going to affect us 5, 10, 15, 20 years later, where we're actually changing that conversation and changing that narrative. Because I think the conversations that we've had for so long have always been, you know, and maybe we're just that shining community. I'm okay with that as well, that we are that shining community that says, you know what, we changed the conversation that we talked about for the last forever years about how police and community have worked together. Uh, have not worked together. Let's, I think that we can be the community that changes that. So with that being said, I would 
agree with most of what's been said and um, go forth from there. Anyone else? Councilmember Williams. Um, I had a question about the interview process when it comes to chief, um, when it relates to community members. Um, was that just an example for the NAACP and local churches, or is that, um, is there, is that or can those, those members be a little bit more inclusive when it relates to? And, uh, no, it wasn't an example. That's current practice right now. Gotcha. Could, could it be a little bit more inclusive as it relates to other um, groups and entities that are part of the community? Absolutely. Okay. Councilmember Niguez. Uh, yes, I had a question about going back to the um, subject of language on applications. Is that something that is uh, that's something in the skills and other um, criteria that is filled out in the application? Where, where, where does that go into the process, I guess is the question. Is that considered? Okay, so when you're getting applications and you know though, right from the from the get-go, somebody is. Um, well, what, I'm sorry, I have to turn on my mic. <laughs> what happens is when we uh, when we have the vendor, when we do the RFP and we get the vendor, we tell them the information that we're looking for, mm -hmm. and then they provide that information to us. So it we could potentially have it on the application, um, language skills. And then we would have to verify the language skill. Okay. Chief, I'm sorry, you were going to. Yeah, just real quick, as, as part of the hiring process and the background packet information that's submitted, generally transcripts are submitted at, at the same time. Uh, we do look at transcripts um, during this process. At that point in time, it's very easy to identify however many years someone might have uh, in a given foreign language. That is something that is, is looked at during the process. Um, there can be questions uh, derived from that experience and sometimes we'll find uh, additional comments will be placed that uh, someone has had multiple years in a given foreign language or lived overseas, yeah. worked overseas in some capacity, something of that nature, if that helps. Okay. Yeah, definitely. So in a hypothetical, where would the preference points end up when it comes to, let's say somebody shows up with minor in French or a bachelor's in French, lived overseas, you know, studied abroad, went backpacking in Europe or something like that versus somebody who comes from, you know, uh, a neighborhood of mostly Hispanic people who speaks conversational language. How would we sort that out? Because I feel like we're going to end up in a situation where, you know, we have, we give preference points to people who have some kind of degree in a, in a language, but then we're not taking into consideration the cultural language that is more, um, or people who live in a culture who have more conversational type um, language experience. As myself, I failed Spanish four years in a row in high school, but I can speak fluently, you know, to anybody in the Hispanic community. So how are we gonna, how do you guys see sort that, sorting that out as a hypothetical? How could we, I guess? Well, I think you're sort of highlighting the challenge of putting it at the right. front end of the process, right? Correct. Yeah, I don't know how we would do that. I mean, there's only so many ways that you can verify something. Councilmember Beck's point was, don't verify it, right? Just ask them to attest to it and let it play out. And mm -hmm. when we get to the end, you know, if they've lied, they've lied and we can handle it that way. Um, so I, I think the, the challenge would be in identifying what categories you want to put in there. What are the checkboxes you want to ask for? 
Councilmember Beck gave some examples mm -hmm. um, that that could be used. You've already listed a few as well. So, yeah. um, but but that is you've sort That's of highlighted the, the, yeah. the technical challenge from a Correct. process. And standpoint. I just wanted to highlight that, just kind of open that up for discussion. Um, that's my main point. Like I said, if we're talking about bringing in people from the community who, you know, reflect who we are and, you know, speak our language, you know, in this case, literally our language, um, you know, we could end up giving preference points to uh, unfairly giving preference points against what we're trying to accomplish here. So just wanted to highlight that um, in terms of the uh, points, um, the new point structure. Um, the, the veteran conversation aside, I do think that we need to have some kind of um, tier. I think this tier system of an associate versus a bachelor's is going to be where we need to go. You know, just more education, more time commitment. I think that's going to be fair to people in terms of, you know, the level of education. This also creates an opportunity for us to have people with a lower barrier of entry to the police force from our own communities where we have a community college here that can provide that associate degree. And, you know, when you have somebody who comes from high school, and can spend two years getting an associate degree, now has an opportunity to become part of the police force. So I think that that's gonna be a good direction to go in. Anyone else? I think I'm struggling with the right spot in our process to ask some of the questions that are things that it's clear everybody on the dais is interested in, in making sure are included. Um, and so we keep, kind of defaulting to preference points, I think, to make sure, maybe I've got this wrong, but like, so people are on the list so that you actually are then interviewing them to learn the additional information that we're trying to get at. And um, so, I, again, I, you all are the experts at it, but um, I think that the items that have been brought up by council are important. Um, and figuring out ways to incorporate them so that they're not, we don't miss a great candidate because we didn't incorporate it in a way that it's meaningful and kind of helps them rise up is what I think the concern is, at least for me. Um, I agree on language that is something council was interested in. I think that um, I think it's doable. I I mean I don't think we're going to solve the problem sitting up here wordsmithing it um, tonight. But I have faith in all of you, and I I can't believe that we are the only city in the nation that thinks that you know speaking multiple languages is is something that is important to incorporate. And so I'm going to leave it to you all to figure out the best way to do that. But I, I think it's important in a community that has more than 120 countries represented in this community, um, or as Councilmember Pianfetti said, 73 different languages are spoken. Um, the bias tool, again, it, it's one of those things that for me sort of falls in the category of where's the right time to either weed people out or or to provide the benefit of, wow, this is a really great candidate. Um, and if it makes sense for it to be within the preference point part, I'm okay with that. Um, my concern is we're gonna hire an, a, an 
consultant, we're going to look at tools. I think some of these other preference point issues are things I'd like to see incorporated as soon as possible. And maybe we then follow up with a readjustment once we have our bias tool in place, but that nobody else is talking about that. So I recognize that that may just be me. Um, I agree on residency being provided a higher uh, level of preference points and perhaps shifting the total number of points in a way that makes sense. Um, I, I'm okay with the military preference points and I, I find myself thinking of, and I don't know if this is true, maybe this is a question for all of you. Do we provide, or is there a lower um, training? If you have X number of years of military service, do you still spend the same amount of time at PTI? Or does some of that count? How, how does all of that work? So military training would be considered as a new hire. There's not like a lateral transfer program for military to count towards police experience. So they would go through the new hire process. Okay. So, so it's not some recognition that they already have similar training. Okay. Um, but other than that, I think I agree with everybody up here. And I, I guess I would ask city manager, do you feel like you have enough direction or do you want me to pull on each of these different yeah. items? So, um, so this is pretty complicated and, and um, timeliness matters. Um, everybody knows we are in a staffing crisis and we are trying at the top of the year to do the RFP to get our testing company because we don't have enough officers on our list to even do interviews right now. And with every passing day, we have more officers separating from the city. Um, and so um, I'm trying to figure out procedurally how we move forward. I think we have enough information to perhaps come back with a, a revised recommendation on how we think preference points could look. I can kind of summarize some of what I heard before, um, before the meeting's over to make sure I'm not kind of missing it. Um, because the longer we take to settle on preference points, preference points are not a pass fail. So like even with degree, if you don't have a degree, you can still apply. It's just where you land on the list. It's not, oh, no degree, you can't, you can't apply, right? And so we have to have some criteria for kind of how we interview them because we don't interview all 20 candidates at the same time. We take them in the order of where they're on the list. And so that's, that's why this is crucial right now. We need to sort out how we want to do these preference points because the information materials that this company is gonna gather for us is going to set up the order by which we are gonna interview applicants, okay? So I'm not trying to, ordinarily I'd be like, we'll just keep coming back and we'll keep talking about it until we get it. But until we change it, the current preference points stand and we're gonna to have to move forward with the hiring process for officers. And I don't think that's what you guys want either, okay? So um, I think with I think with um, most things, we can probably come back without a whole new report, just come back with a different recommendation that factors in um, a language, a language piece that I've heard. Um, there's been a lot of discussion back and forth about kind of the balancing of military um, against degrees. Um, 
I probably, I'd probably have to rewatch the tape to actually count how many of you said if you want it up or you want it down, or, or we could try to pull that one for clarity tonight. Um, I did hear, I think, a majority of you saying that maybe it should be aggregated and not either or, so that if it, in home rule, who cares if it's a maximum of seven points, if it's a maximum of 25 points, we could say you get your military points if you did military, you get your academic points if you get academics. If you have academics and military, it's additive. So I think I, I think a majority of you said that. Um, let's see. Um, Councilmember Bruno's the only person who suggested that we could also give credit for some other kind of service. Um, again, if you know, AmeriCorps and Peace Corps, I guess we can add that, but I, I'd want us to spend a little bit more time as a staff looking at that. I only heard that one. Um, increasing residency to five, we definitely heard that from a majority of council, I believe. Um, I think that's it. So it's the, it's the, aggre it's the aggregated points, so don't do either or. I think there was consensus that Council's comfortable with giving bachelor's degrees higher than associates. I'm unclear on whether you want veterans to stay at five or veterans to come down to two and a half to be more like associates. That's one I'm not clear on. Um, and we need to add language. Um, the one place that I would say we're in a difficult spot doing this timely is the issue of adding racial bias at the preference point step. And that's because we do not have the in-house technical expertise. This is why we're asking for a guidance to hire a consultant, because we really want a consultant to go out there and help us identify best practices and tools in order to assess that. That's gonna take time. And our recommendation would be that that racial bias assessment piece needs to stay as part of the psychological testing rather than at the preference point step. Um, and that's partly, I mean, if you don't pass your psychological, I think this is to council member Pianfetti's point, you don't pass your psychological, you don't get hired, right? And so still putting it at that step in the process with the psychological assessment, which is a conditional offer of employment, it's not a guarantee, you fail your psychological that would include a best practice in a racial bias assessment, I think our administration would say that's the right fit for it. But I don't want to diminish that if council wants it at the preference point step, we can consider that. It just, we can't move that fast enough to do a preference point for, for RFPing this testing consultant. I know I'm being very complicated here, but I want to be true to your guidance, but this is very complicated and we heard lots of input. So um, I think we could come back with another recommendation tonight or, or in short order with just a, we would recommend changing those preference points a bit. Racial bias as a preference point is the only one that I have some discomfort around because I really think we need professional expertise to help us go out to the marketplace and, and give us a recommendation on those. If we wait on the racial bias as a preference point, would there be anything prohibiting us from including it as a preference point later down the line once we have the additional information from our consultant. I am, you guys can speak to this. I would think that at any time we go through a process, 
we can change that process. We just need to make sure we have the testing company's ability to do that, because when we change it, that changes the whole way applications are being received. So we would start receiving applications under the new process with the set of preference points, and then we'd have to amend it later for, for applicants after that point. Is that accurate? Okay, so other council questions or comments? Does everybody feel like that adequately summarized where we're at? I'm seeing nods of heads. Um, so do we wanna pull five or two and a half for military? Or are we polling whether it's aggregate or non-aggregate? <laughs> or both? <laughs> Okay, yeah. so let's start with aggregate or non-aggregate. Councilmember Fulmer. I mean, yes. For aggregate? So, so basically, not an either or military and put, so add military and academic, count them separately in the total. Okay, so this is a add them together. Yes, add them together. Yes. I agree, add them together. Yes. Yes. Yes, we have direction on that. So now we've got five or two and a half. It's hard to know because we haven't set the other stuff. So, I mean, alternately, if, if it's easier, again, this, is, um, this isn't wordsmithing because it's numbers, but it's essentially wordsmithing from the dais. It's not an offense, uh, um, a good way to do it. If you think I've captured the essence of it, we can just come back in a quick study session with a different table and test it with you. And it would literally be the same report, but we put a cover on it with a different recommendation. Well, maybe here's a way to do it. Um, military, the same as whatever an associate's degree ends up as. Or military, lower than. I guess we're at the five or two and a half question at that point. All right. Or do we want to see it all pulled together and then we can give direction to staff when we see it all pulled together? It's hard to do it in a vacuum. I, I, I just, I don't want, so I'm just at the point right now, we could do it either way. Um, we could hammer it out tonight or we can just come back. But when we come back, we are really getting to the point where we've got to get close and I want to make sure that I'm understanding so that we don't go back and then we miss the mark when we come back again. Because um, we really, we need to do this. We need to get hiring started again. For military, but, but we don't know what they're gonna set everything else as. So, okay. So council member Fulmer, what number do you want for military? I'm so sorry to interrupt. I just want to verify with the city attorney that we're allowed to change the number of points that we're granting veterans military points. My understanding is the statute prescribes five. No, it says five points. Our ordinance prescribes five percentage points. And, our list and we've is adjusted point that list. in the past okay. uh, to deviate from the statute. So There's no home rule preclusion that I see right now. Okay. I mean, I haven't spent a long time looking at it. But well, that's, yeah, we that was before. my question. I, I don't think there's a new home rule preclusion with respect to police. So we were below at some point what the statute says? 
Yeah, we changed the statute. Okay. Back in 1990, I'll say in 1994, we did it. In 2005, we did it. We were lower than the statute. Well, when you say we're lower than the statute. Lower than no. the five points. The statute points. says five points. It doesn't say five what. In, the, in our ordinance, we say five percentage points as part right now for military. I'm sorry, Fred. I'm not understanding you. We're, so have we ever been less than what the statute provides? Under five, whether that's percentage Whatever five points is or points. in the statute, we've never, we have I think the city five. attorney is saying we have home rule authority to set it where we want. Okay. Okay. So, Councilmember Farmer, Councilmember Farmer, what would you like it to be? Um, five is five. 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 Uh, well, five points, I suppose. And if that is less than five percent, because we've added other points, that's okay with me. Okay. Five. 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 And five. Is there anything else you feel like you want direction on other than the actual poll? Um, could you, well, we don't have the, the thing up there anymore. So what, what I'm hearing is five for veterans, five for bachelor's degree with no restriction on degree. So that would include humanities or any degree. 2.5 for associates, but also in any academic discipline. Five for city residency. And you guys want us to add a language. Do you want to poll how, what your points are on a language? Another two and a half, another 2.5 um, for language. And we have to just find some way to verify, even if it's the self-verification, like Councilmember Beck said, either um, ESL, so people who are native speakers or, or degree on language. Councilmember Niguez. You're asking me what language we prefer? No, 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 no. no. I'm saying what I'm hearing, <laughs> what I'm hearing is, oh, like, like with degrees, I would say that yeah. it's for any language that's not right. English. Okay? <laughs> I was going to say Spanish all the way, but no, um, I... I don't, I really don't know because of my hypothetical that I was talking about earlier. I think that if we're talking about getting police officers into the areas that are going to be able to use that language, I think that's going to be at the discretion of, you know, the chief or whoever is in charge of, you know, sure. Yeah, I don't know. Council member back. William. Five. Five. 2.5. Five. 2.5. 2.5. Five. I think you have direction okay. for five. Okay, I have direction for five. Okay, so I think we have a sufficient proposal from council and sufficient guidance that we could take the recommendations that we just went through to the Board of Fire and Police Commission as a recommendation and guidance from City Council and request them to make that modification. We're gonna to have to amend city code because the city code language is not appropriate. We still are going to amend our hiring policy to make it a mandate that there's community participation in the interview process, okay? The only thing that I would suggest is that the racial bias testing 
remain with us hiring a consultant, getting some more information, and then determining after we get that report whether that's best as something that we can put as a modified preference points later in the process or if we want to just build it into the RFP for selecting a psych vendor and then using it at the psychological step, which is still a step that you must pass in order to remain a police officer. Okay, I think the only thing you don't have in from the polling we did was uh, the proposals for the RFP for a vendor for the consulting services related to pre-employment psychological assessment. Right. Council Member Fulmer. <laughs> Are you okay with them yes. hiring a vendor to do the psych? Yes. <laughs> yes, I'm okay with hiring a vendor. Yes. Yes. And yes, so I think you have everything. Okay, that so we have adequate. Uh, thank you so much. I know this is very complicated, but it's also very important because we want to get it right. So we now have a proposal to take to Board of Fire and Police on preference points. We have your direction on what we need to do for community involvement in the interview process. And we will move forward with an RFP process to get professional services to help us better assess um, the racial bias assessment and the, and the best practices and psychological assessments. Okay, I need a motion to adjourn. So moved. Second. All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed, same sign. We are adjourned. Aye. <laughs>